Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Welcome in on a Friday morning. We have got a lot to get to. We've got uh, jazz for you. We've got cougars. We've got youths. We've got it all. Uh, PK and I had Matt George on. Uh, he does Locked on Kings for Locked on Podcast for David Locke. Hassan Whiteside. What does he bring to the Jazz? What's he got left in the tank? How good can he be? Statistically, uh, last year was not good. It didn't look anything like Portland two years ago or Miami three years ago. So what's he got left in the tank? Uh, Here is Matt George, Locked on Kings with DJ and PK. Matt, good morning. DJ, PK, what's up? Greetings from uh, Sacramento where it's way too hot and there's still nothing to do. (laughs) Long time ago, Matt. I used to work in Sacramento, KOVR. And uh, KOVR and you got out, huh? I and did. You got out. I was assisted in my departure, if you know what I mean. Uh huh. <laughs> but it worked out. So uh, we're curious here. Hassan Whiteside coming to the Jazz and a quick look at his stats and what happened. Uh, he'd been a starter most of his career. He barely started and he only played 36 games. His playing time was cut in half. A lot of the stats fell because of the playing time, but stuff like his shooting percentage was down several points. What what was going on? Hassan Whiteside's the purpose of Hassan Whiteside in Sacramento was never remotely clear to begin with. I remember when we heard rumors last offseason that the Kings were potentially targeting him and everybody was just kind of looking around wondering why. Uh, and then uh, thankfully when, when the Kings did sign him, it was only for a, a minimum deal. So it wasn't for the money that initially we, we thought that Hassan Whiteside was going to command on the market. But it was a mixture of a lot of things. It was a mixture of Rashawn Holmes continuing to play very, very well at that starting center spot. Uh, Hassan did have a, a bout with COVID or at least health and safety protocols uh, from what we know that, that held him out for a while that kind of disrupted uh, disrupted his rhythm a little bit. And then the Sacramento Kings, at least offensively, are a team when you have De'Aaron Fox on your roster, you want to play fast. You want to play up-tempo. And that is not the game of Hassan Whiteside. It might have been back in the day. Uh, it's not anymore. The man moves like he's stuck in molasses, whether he's on the perimeter or, or in the paint. Now, he did do what the Kings asked him to do in limited uh, stretches well, which is block shots and just be a presence on the interior, but not enough for him to command as much playing time as maybe we all expected. So do you think it's a significant pickup, decent pickup, or waste of time pickup for the Jazz? I, I I have a hard time believing that anything Hassan Whiteside does for the rest of his career at this point is going to be significant. Um, I, I think it can be a decent pickup in the sense that when when um, Rudy Gobert goes out of the game, you're not having a significant or the, uh, like, like a massive defensive drop off uh, when he's coming in to back things up. He does very very well at at, at, at protecting the rim and being that presence in the paint. But if he's going to match up against a, a modern NBA big who is capable of spacing the floor. You'll notice very quickly, Hassan won't step further beyond the top of the key. He just doesn't go out there. So you, you can't play him against a, a Denver Nuggets with Nikola Jokic. Uh, you, can't, you just can't play him uh, guarding a modern NBA big. You couldn't play him against the Bucks with Brooke Lopez because uh, they'll, just, they'll just space the floor on him and pull him out of the paint where he's at his most effective. So it's not entirely clear how Quinn Snyder is going to play the Jazz non-Gobert minutes. And Gobert's probably good for 35 minutes, so that leaves 13 minutes a game. And they might, you know, there's been talk about 
you, you put several forwards out there, Rudy Gay gets his time, and, and you play without the traditional center, in which case Whiteside's role gets tiny to non-existent. Uh, but when he is in the game backing up Gobert, when Gobert sits down, isn't the opposing team just going to put him in a pick-and-roll every time? Yeah, I imagine uh, that's that's going to be the the approach. That's certainly the approach most teams had uh, when when he was in the game for Sacramento. Uh, in the event that that they do try and attack the basket, work their way into the paint, Hassan's white uh, his his presence down there is still very significant. I mean, he can he can block shots easily. He changes shots. He disrupts shots. So in a lot of ways, the Kings who have lacked that shot blocking, uh, or they lacked it a lot going into last season, it was a breath of fresh air having Hassan's presence there alone. The problem is, in the modern NBA, like you mentioned, it's really easy to, to, to handle that. It's really easy to pull a big man away from the basket now with just basic spacing. And, then yeah, uh, pick and rolls, all you have to do is get him to switch on a smaller guard. Uh, and, like I said, he's either going to give you all the space in the world to shoot, or if he does step out on you, you're going right by him with a quick jab step. So it's not too easy to break down and defeat Hassan, which is why I question just his overall ability to be effective in large stretches uh, in the in the NBA for the remainder of his career. Well, I guess the argument would be he's not going to play large stretches and he's going to play against second-team guys. And if there's a bunch of big men who can step out on pick-and-rolls and all, they'd be starters anyway. So the guys he's going up against should be okay. I mean, that's one argument. I, I And I understand that completely. If, if the Jazz and Quinn Snyder can find a way to effectively use Whiteside in his in where he's comfortable, keep him in the paint, keep him doing what he does best. I think he can be an asset uh, for the Utah Jazz. And, and like you said, in those limited minutes, in those small stretches, one to two to three minutes while Rudy Gobert gets some rest, the rim protection doesn't drop off at all. If, if anything, it might, well, I'm not going to go as far as to say it goes up a little bit because Gobert is Rudy Gobert. But it, you're not losing a lot in terms of rim protection and rebounding as well. I mean, he, he can secure the glass just with his size alone. Um, it's just, honestly, it's the mobility that's the biggest question mark and forever will be for me. Jazz fans are uh, are craving a championship. When you handicap the West, looking at all the moves, Sacramento's got a lot of building to do, so you don't really have a dog in the hunt right now. What do you think? I like the Utah Jazz a lot. It was very, very easy for me to root for the Utah Jazz. I'm also a huge Donovan Mitchell fan, and I'm still regretting. I regret a lot of Sacramento Kings drafts, but uh, regretting not taking Mitchell at 10 uh, when you had both 5 and 10 in the De'Aaron Fox draft. It's still painful to me, that being said, Tyrese Halliburton being here, Davion Mitchell. I like what the Kings are doing, but when you make the, miss the playoffs for 15 straight years, it's hard to have too much optimism that, oh, this will be the year. We've been saying that for over a decade. Uh, but in terms of the Utah Jazz, uh, I, I like the way they're built. I'm very pleased, at least from my perspective, that uh, the – rumored issues, which might have been a bigger thing, you can tell me this more than I can tell you, outside of of Utah than inside the the issues or disconnect between Davion Mitchell, uh, or rather Donovan Mitchell, excuse me, uh, and Rudy Gobert. I'm I'm glad those issues seem to work themselves out. Big fan of uh, Quinn Snyder as well. I like what the Utah Jazz are doing, uh, and I was rooting for them to make a big run. Now, it was fun for the Phoenix Suns to be the Cinderella story that they were, but Utah was the best team in the West for a reason. Uh, I expect them to be right back there, and I always enjoy every time we get to see them and and come to Sacramento because I always put up a good show for Kings fans who haven't seen winning in quite some time. 
How about Whiteside's ability? We know he can block shots, but his ability to go up, try to block a shot, maybe he alters the shot so it's not blocked, but then about his ability to able to get himself in the position to rebound. Yeah. To be honest with you, I'm trying to come up with a, like a memory in my mind of, of a play where that happened. Altering shots for sure. Uh, it's honestly he does it more than he actually blocks shots. And altering right. shots around the rim can be just as effective, if if not even more effective, as long as you're staying out of foul trouble. If if the if the ball is anywhere remotely in his vicinity, coming off of a rim, he's probably going to get it just with his length alone and his physical presence. I didn't realize like how girthy Hassan Whiteside was when uh, until I saw him in person coming back to Sacramento. He certainly put it on weight, so he's not an easy guy to push around. So if he gets position, more than likely he's securing the rebound. The problem is if the, if the ball comes off the rim um, in any which direction and it's a long rebound, more than likely he's he's not getting to it um, just because of his speed. And I think what will frustrate um, some Utah Jazz fans is there will be a rebound, a 50-50 ball that he probably could get that he just won't give the maximum effort to secure. There are going to be a handful of those that could result in second-chance opportunities and second-chance points uh, for Utah's opponent that will probably drive Quinn Snyder, the two of you, and everybody else uh, just crazy. We have agreed the use of the word girthy during this interview makes this a smashing success. Good work, Matt. <laughs> no, no problem, guys. Thank you so much for having me, and cheers from Sacramento. And uh, hopefully the, the Kings could be, can be number two in the West and the Jazz can be number one. But, hey, we'll dream. Hey, uh, before we <laughs> let you go, uh, Keda was a star at Utah State. Where does he fit in with the Kings? You know, it's it's funny. I had um, Rafael Barlow, who's one of our draft experts on my Locked on Kings podcast recently, and Rafael said on draft night that he thought that Keita could be the Kings' starting center. Now, this was before they had re-signed and re-secured Rashawn Holmes and then gone out gotten Alex Len, Tristan Thompson, and suddenly the Kings go from no backcourt or frontcourt depth to a crap ton of frontcourt depth. Um but we still had a conversation on my podcast a couple of days ago, and we believe Kata is is a, a, a good asset to potentially crack the Kings rotation. And what's crazy is I asked Kings general manager Monty McNair about Kata and him falling to 39, and, and he said he couldn't believe how under the radar a natural seven-footer who was an analytical darling like Kata averaged double-double and scoring a very efficient score also like 3.3 blocks, uh, almost two steals a game. He didn't understand how a player like that could slide so far. Maybe it's it's because he's a natural seven-footer in the modern NBA, maybe because he's a little bit older. Uh, who knows? But I absolutely love him. I love what I've seen uh, in, in summer league so far. Certainly has some rust to work on, but the footwork is already significantly better than some of the bigs the Kings have pit- taken in recent history. And on top of that, for a natural seven-footer, thing, the opposite of Hassan Whiteside, his mobility on the perimeter has been a lot better than what I expected. Uh, so I'm excited. He has a two-way contract. He'll get good opportunity, plenty of playing time uh, with the G League Stockton Kings. But I expect him to get minutes and, and provide a lot of what the Kings have been lacking that maybe they were hoping Hassan Whiteside could provide last season. Matt, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. Good luck with the podcast. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure, guys. Happy to do it again. There's Matt George, Locked on Kings. Coming up next, our tour of the Pac-12 takes us to Oregon, Ryan Thorburn, the register guard in Eugene. How good is Oregon? 
a big test for the Utes, along with USC and ASU. We'll find out next. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Syringa Networks. Working from home or with a hybrid workforce, get a powerful IT partner with Syringa Networks. Call them at 385-420-7881 or visit syringanetworks.net. We're joined now by Ryan Thorburn. He covers the Oregon Ducks. He's the beat writer for the Register Guard in Eugene, Oregon. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property. Concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at Smart Rain. Net. Ryan, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So I guess the first question right out of the gate is the Ducks and the playoff talk, is it too much hype or can they pull this off? I don't think it's too much hype just in the sense that Mario Cristobal has stacked together three top ten recruiting classes and they have uh, a list of key super seniors back so they have the experience, they have the talent, they have depth at every position. Uh, obviously, winning at Ohio State is something that the Pac-12 could really use for the Ducks to go ahead and do that and get in the mix from the get-go. That's a, really a tall task when you look at you know Ohio State stacked together, you know top five recruiting classes for years and years. So, uh, you know I I don't see that happening in terms of beating Ohio State in the horseshoe, but they do have the talent in place to give it a run for sure. So we heard uh, after Friday's practice that Cristobal addressed the suspensions of safety uh, Jamal Hill and DJ James. Uh, apparently they were shooting airsoft guns at people from a car. Uh, I don't know what that's about, uh, but what type of penalty is for, in terms of duration is that going to be? Yeah, obviously uh, really a bad start to, to fall camp. That actually happened. Uh, that incident happens. Hours after their media day on Tuesday, it happened late Tuesday night. So both those players are projected starters and both are suspended indefinitely. I'd be surprised if they're in the Ohio State game. I mean, those are that's a pretty bonehead thing to do. It's pretty serious. You know, one person is allegedly hit in the face. You know, I don't know a lot about airsoft guns other than they kind of look like a real gun and it's probably like a modern-day BB gun. So... Uh, not the way you want to start camp. You know, as I mentioned, I think DJ James, who had two interceptions in the Pac-12 championship game, is one of their top five most talented players. He played the nickel, replaced Javon Holland, who's an NFL player now, seamlessly. And uh, Ohio State has the best wide receiving core in the nation. So really an ominous start. Oregon has depth, like I mentioned, and they have young guys behind them that are you know, touting guys, but that's definitely a hit to lose two starters right off the bat. And we'll see what that suspension ends up being once, you know, they're arraigned and, and the severity of the charges are, you know, either reduced or, or as they are now. So 
PK was a writer for the Salt Lake Tribune for a long time, beat writer, and but covered different teams at Utah and BYU, football and basketball. And some of the teams there were sometimes problems behind the scenes. I guess loosely they'd be called discipline issues, but some of them were even bigger than that. Is this a team, because you're there and you're in Eugene, you're not in Portland trying to cover the team, but you're in Eugene, is this like a one-off and, and way out of character for this team? Or is there a chance that stuff could happen like this down the road that, you know, it's a little loose behind the scenes? What's your perception of it? Yeah, I mean, you never know when you have 118 guys or whatever they have at camp. You know, the odds are there's going to be one or two that that mess up. I mean, if you were just sample 100 random college students, that's going to happen. Um, These are young people that do dumb things. But I don't sense that there's any discipline issues overall in in their team. I think you sense that in 2016, Helfrich's last team did not have good chemistry. They had a bunch of off-the-stuff and once the off the field stuff, and once the season started going south, you could feel like there was just no hope of pulling out of it. I think this is a one off, like you said, and uh, you know, definitely a serious incident, and definitely something that's going to impact the defense. But you know, I think Mario Cristobal has a pretty tight grasp on what's going on in the program. Yeah, I think it's a blow, but when you got guys like Wright and McKinley back there defensively, and then you've got somebody by the name of uh, Thibodeau in quarterbacks' faces virtually every play, I don't know if it's a fatal blow. And and a strong linebacking core there, and I can argue, you talked about Ohio State having the best receiving, and I can argue that the linebacking core at Oregon, which includes one of our local guys here, Sewell, that they're going to be fine defensively. Yeah, and and on the flip side, you know, Ohio State has four, you know, elite recruits that they haven't thrown a pass in college yet. The winner of that will have one game under his belt, and Kayvon Thibodeau is going to be putting a lot of pressure on that person. Yeah, uh, you mentioned Noah Sewell, an inside linebacker, a five-star recruit. Now his buddy Justin Flo, who missed last year with a, a knee injury, is probably going to be alongside him, another five-star recruit. Um, those two are among the top recruits Oregon's ever had behind Thibodeau. So their front seven should be really good. Mikhail Wright is a shutdown cornerback, and Ron McKinley is one of the smartest safeties. And, and these uh, two recruiting classes that haven't really played much football, it's like they have a, one giant freshman class you know, with last year being so strange, um, including a, a five-star cornerback, uh, Dante Manning. You know, talent is not the issue, and Tim DeRuiter has a history of improving defenses, so they should be better than they were last year on defense. So at quarterback, they're going to rely on a transfer who has had two knee injuries that have uh, ended seasons. Um, what are the reviews on Anthony Brown when you're close to the program? Yeah, I think Anthony Brown is is the wild card in all of this. You know, I think whether they're a playoff caliber team or a Pac-12 championship team or a disappointment is going to come down to how Anthony Brown plays. They're not going to ask him to to carry the water. He's just got to manage things. But he's a a sixth-year senior, Boston College transfer, who, you know, wasn't really able to get in the mix last camp because he was not in the program during the spring and then everything was shut down and, Pac-12 was so limited in practice that Tyler Shuck, you know, held on to that off of four spring practices and limited uh, fall camp. So 
Tyler Shuck has transferred to Texas Tech. Um, I wouldn't say that Anthony Brown is a better quarterback than Tyler Shuck, but he could be a better fit for what Joe Moorhead does with his system. How about Ty Thompson in that quarterback race? Because I think that he might be the most talented of the three, including Butterfield. There's no question that, you know, he's a guy that fans are, are really excited about. Uh, one of the highest recruited quarterbacks, if not the highest recruited quarterback they've ever had. Um, he was in during spring, which helps. He looked, you know, obviously to be several steps behind Brown and even behind uh, their 2020 quarterbacks, uh, Robbie Ashford and Jay Butterfield. But, you know, it's only a matter of time until uh, a player of that caliber either wins the job or transfers in today's day and age. So uh, it would be interesting if Anthony Brown were to perform, you know, poorly and, and be the reason they didn't beat Ohio State. The next week they have Stony Brook. Do you throw one of the young guys in there and just go with the future? Uh, that'll be uh, an interesting situation for sure. So do they just need average quarterback play because the wide receivers are so good? I mean, you got a 6'5 target. Just don't screw this up. He's 6'5". It's a pretty big catch radius for Devin Williams. Yeah, I don't think it's just about the quarterback because, you know, some of these receivers and running backs, you know, Johnny Johnson, Jalen Brad, Micah Pittman, uh, they, a lot of them have been around, and the running backs too, C.J. Verdell and Dye, they've been around, and they're the same guys that Justin Herbert was working with. And, you know, now you hear the NFL scouts saying, well, Herbert didn't have any NFL guys that he was working with at skill positions. That's one reason he was maybe downgraded coming out. So they have a lot of the same guys. So I think it is a, how many of these true freshmen that look like more of the NFL type of prospects can supplant these seniors and, and have an impact on the team. I think that'll be key. We saw, you know, a couple of these wide receivers just show out in the spring game. It'll be really interesting to see if they – can mix and match the experience with the, the young talent, which is, you know, a, a higher quality of athlete. You think Washington is the toughest competition in the North? Yeah, I think Washington clearly is, is the toughest team in the North besides Oregon. That game's in Seattle. Um, that's the thing about Oregon as far as the playoff that makes it tough is all of their marquee games are on the road. When you look at Ohio State, Washington, UCLA against Chip Kelly, and then Utah. You know, there's there's just it's hard to imagine them not stubbing their toe once or twice there. So uh, that rivalry is obviously going to be spiced up even more than normal with Washington not being able to play the game last year and uh, forfeiting the North Division title or at least the Pac-12 championship game entry to their rival because of COVID. So. Uh, I, I don't think either team uh, is happy with the other the way 2020 played out. Come on, those two teams are never happy with each other. <laughs> no, not really. Uh, I think the Pac-12 needs to root for any team, whether they hate them or not, to make the playoff. But, yeah, for sure, uh, that Husky uh, rivalry is going to be interesting with Jimmy Lake. You know, he, he's a guy who brings it on defense and is trying to – upgrade their recruiting, and Mario Cristobal uh, recruits every day of the year at a high level, so it should be good for years to come. How much do you think the teams that miss teams on the schedule is going to factor into Pac-12 race? Because you've got Oregon missing ASU and SC, so that's the first and third teams in the South. Then you got Washington 
or excuse me, you got SC misses Oregon and Washington, who's first and second projected anyway. So I'm wondering, man, if the schedule maker, the way it just plays out as in the rotation, could end up having a fair amount of impact. Yeah, on paper, I think that's why Oregon and USC are picked again is, you know, they don't play each other during the regular season and they miss some of the other powers from the the other opposite division. So, you know, on paper, I get that. I just think, you know, you just never know. I think Chip Kelly's going to have something to say about Oregon as well. Um, they have to go down to LA to play them. And, uh, even though Utah has to play Oregon, it's at home in November. That could be, uh, you know, that could swing the thing where it could be Utah Washington instead of Oregon SC. Just if the Utah is able to beat Oregon, so you just never know. But um, yeah, on paper, you know, I voted Oregon USC because that's I look at the schedules as much as anything else. Ryan Thorburn joining us, Oregon Ducks beat writer for the Register Guard in Eugene, Oregon. With the Oklahoma-Texas announcement, there's been plenty of speculation about super conferences. Who else does the SEC want to add? Is the Big Ten going to try to take the top teams out of the Pac-12? How serious is that talk in, in Eugene, and how would Oregon officials receive any of that? Well, right now, Rob Mullins is trying to, you know, I think his stance is that it's very early in, in George K. Um, I haven't mastered the last name yet, the new Pac-12 commissioner's <laughs> tenure. And, you know, the timing of that, you know, they're trying to just get on the same page with the new Pac-12 commissioner right now. And and I think if all 12 teams are on the same page, I don't see any way they're going to add any of these hateful eight, big eight leftovers. I don't think they add anything to the conference, really. So it's a matter of, I think what we're seeing nationwide is it's all about the big brands and are the big brands happy. So I think if USC is on board with the Pac-12, things are going to be okay. If they want to go independent or maybe join the Big Ten, then then we've, there's a problem out on the West Coast. So uh, I think the key over the next few years as this thing unfolds is you know what's best for USC and to a lesser degree Oregon as a national brand also. Well, Ryan, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us, and we'll look forward to that uh, Utah-Oregon game uh, in November. Thanks for coming on. All right. Thanks, guys. There's Ryan Thorburn from the Register Guard in Eugene, Oregon, talking duck football. Coming up next, the radio voice of the BYU Cougars, Greg Rubel. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, time to talk with the voice of the Cougars, Greg Rebell. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Greg, good morning. Good morning, and I'm glad you led me in with that because we all believe, all of us, in the spirit of radio. (laughs) Good work. I like it. 
So, do you believe in this BYU football team? You feel a big year coming on? Feel a good but not great year coming on? In the words of Gordon Monson, where are you? How are you hanging on? I'm in a good spot. I'm in a good headspace, guys. Uh, I, I, I feel it can be a really good season. I, I, I think last year, BYU did exactly as much as you hoped it would do with the schedule uh, that the Cougars had to play and came a yard away from something pretty darn special. But 11-1 and one, uh, was, I, I thought, you know, everything and, and then some you could have hoped last year's team could do. Uh, this year's team may not reach the 11-win plateau, yet still be um, the same kind of caliber and same kind of quality. And you say that having lost, you know, draft picks to the NFL, multiple draft picks to the NFL. But if you have to lose the number two overall pick at quarterback, uh, you're in a pretty good spot with the guys you have back surrounding the quarterbacks competing for the job this fall. The way I look at this season, get your thought on that, that this is very, very important for the progression of the program because this is Coach Sataki's sixth year in BYU. We know recruiting classes take a while to get to campus, and then once they get to campus, it takes some time for them to get into shape to be able to play. But six years is long enough, and so they took a giant step last year, and you can argue the schedule, but the NFL proved that they took a giant step. So with that in mind, how important do you think that that this season is in terms of establishing a program? Well, not only is it important, but I think it's, it's very illustrative that you have a similar situation starting year six that you had in year one. And so you can make a real kind of, um, you know, a real strong measurement from, from year one to year six by, by how the season begins. Um, back in 2016, Kalani's first year, they opened against Arizona uh, on a neutral field in NFL Stadium, won that game, uh, came back and played Utah in their second game. This year, they have the same situation. They go to Vegas, play Arizona in the Raiders Stadium. They're expected to win that game. They won the game in 2016. Then you come back and you play Utah. And that, to me, becomes the, the, the true barometer as to where this team is from then to now, is, is presuming you have success in the opener, how do you bounce back against the team that has been your nemesis for a decade plus? And, and how much more competitive are you? Can you finally break the streak? It, it'll say a lot about the program in how the seasons begin. And furthermore, uh, back in 2016, having beaten Arizona, lost to Utah, they played a Pac-12 team in their next game and lost that game and then lost the next game. And there they were one and three in Kalani's first four games and then rebounded well for a nine-win season. Now, hopefully, the same not need to re- the, the same need to rebound isn't there this time around. But you know, I, I think you can say if there's progress made, and there has been progress made, BYU is not going to be one and three through four games this year. So, as Kalani tries to build a uh, bigger, longer, more athletic roster, what position group do you think is most likely to dominate and give them an edge this year? Well, I. I think the tight end is as good as it's been. Uh, even, even if you just account for the top two guys right now, uh, I think Isaac Rex and Dallin Holker is, are as dynamic a tight end duo as BYU's had in many, many years. And then when you counter that with the fact that uh, the receiving core is essentially back from last year, minus Dax Milne, Gunnar Romney was still a guy that led the team in, in yards per reception, yards per target, a good downfield target. Neil Pau. Is, is, is size and speed and catchability. I, I don't think, again, having lost Zach Wilson, lost to Dax Milne, 
you're not really starting over at either quarterback or wide receiver. And so between tight end and wide receiver with Romney and Pau, Cosper was, was used liberally last year for his role. The Nakua, the, uh, the, the Nakua brothers entered the scene. Chris Jackson and Keanu Hill are still in the mix. Uh, they're deep enough and good enough to, to surround the quarterback with, with all the tools he needs to succeed. And then you're not even talking about a thousand yard running back and the guys behind him uh, in the backfield. So I, I guess I'm saying it shows up all over the offense right now uh, around the quarterback and the guys will be handing it off to and throwing it to. And you, you do lose a draft pick on the offensive line. They're, they're retooling a little bit there. But I really think, guys, they feel they've got six guys to play five up front and feel really good about maybe a seventh right now offensive lineman. And, and if, if, if health can, can be with them on the O-line, I, I can't see them dropping a ton from last year's productivity up front. Then how about on the other side, what's your level of expectation and confidence? Well, certainly nationally, you know, the attention is going to BYU's offense. I mean, you know, if you want to use, you know, watch lists as a, as a barometer, and that's tough to do because everybody gets on a watch list these days, right? Uh, essentially, the only, the only guy garnering any heat defensively right now is Peyton Wilgar, and for good reasons. But I'm fairly confident that by the end of the year, uh, you know, Peyton Wilgar won't be the only standout on this BYU defense. So I, I, th- I think the versatility and strength in numbers on the D-line might take away from IDing any one particular player as a stud, but Tyler Batty certainly has an opportunity to be that guy up front. He was, I think he was at three sacks through four games last year. He only played four games and still ended up as one of BYU's top uh, pressure and hurry and, and, and havoc guys last year. So a healthy season for Tyler Batty could mean a special season on the D-line. The linebacking core, I think, has been properly ID'd as a real strength of this team. But uh, I, I think Keenan Ellis and D'Angelo Mandel are a really nice pair of starting corners uh, for BYU as well. So they're not getting a lot of attention. I think it's been more slow and steady than spectacular, maybe numerically, for Coach Itake's defense and Coach uh, uh, Tuiaki's defense. But, uh, you know, they, they can ramp it up when they have to. I think they choose a lot of times not to, but you can't argue with the results. I mean, BYU was as good as any team in the country last year, guys, at preventing the big play. Now, you could argue that last year's opponents weren't necessarily the, the, the laundry list of big playmakers, but there were good, you know, there, there were at least challenges last year that were met adequately. And that's been a real strength of BYU is not letting a lot of big plays and big yards per play, chunk plays, explosive plays beat you. There's a lot made of Power 5 teams on BYU's schedule, but all Power 5 teams are not created equal, and BYU has shown that they are pretty good at handling the bottom of the Power 5 and decent against the middle of the Power 5. So I guess that leaves a question, who is truly elite and going to provide a challenge, and which of these Power 5 teams do you think BYU is going to have an upper hand on? Well, I, I, I think, uh, obviously, the, the top three picks in the Pac-12 South are the ones that are projected to give BYU the most trouble. Uh, you know, to me, Utah is tougher than USC just because it's Utah, and it has been for years. Uh, it's, it's the hurdle BYU is at a real tough time confronting. And, and the, 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 the problem with the Utah series, the way it's gone, isn't just that you lose all these games. It's that you essentially you've, you've lost in, in every possible way. Uh, you've lost when turning it over. You've lost when not turning it over. You've lost when trailing early. You've lost with big leads. You, you've really, you, you've not been able to identify the one thing that if we do this right, we can beat this team we haven't beaten forever because it's happened in every possible way. So to me, Utah's still right at the top. Uh, USC may be ranked higher, thought of higher, but Utah is still, uh, you know, the, the, the toughest team BYU will play. 
Uh, Utah, USC, Arizona State, I, I think it's okay to say one, two, three, uh, the, the three toughest teams of the P5s. Uh, you know, all, all P5s not being created equal. You get a couple of bottom-dweller picks, at least, in Washington State and Arizona. And then you get kind of middle-of-the-pack Big 12 and Baylor. And then Virginia could be a middle-of-the-pack in the ACC. So you're kind of hitting all – you're hitting, you know, kind of the elite teams in their league, kind of bottom-dwellers in their league, and then middle-packers in their league. So there's really a kind of a random sampling for BYU to see, you know, where they should be. You've got games you're expected to lose, games you're really expected to win, and then I think toss-ups right in the middle. And so it, it could go, at, you know, any way with those seven P5s this year with the real strength at the top being being Utah. Stepping away from this season, you know, with Oklahoma and Texas leaving to the SEC, we know that that just creates a whole lot of uncertainty. Uh, what do you think needs to happen for BYU as these things, not just this move from the 12 to the SEC, but obviously there's going to be fallout and domino effects. So what do you think BYU needs to do to make sure that it's in a good spot when this particular set of circumstances settles, even if it's three or four years, five years down the road? Well, I actually think that, that the groundwork's been laid, PK. I think BYU's done what it has to do to be in a good spot. And, and not that they lack initiative or ambition in this situation, but they can kind of afford to let some things happen around them and, and see where the best opportunities present themselves when, when the dust settles again. I, I think they've proven through independence that it's – it's maybe more sustainable than maybe some imagined. Um, you can still be an independent like BYU. You can still have your entire P5 schedule crumble around you. You can still find a way to be an 11-win team in a 12-win pandemic season and get back on the national radar. I, I think games like the, the one they'll play in Las Vegas uh, is another good opportunity for BYU to not you know, show but perhaps remind some people of where they are kind of in a national landscape in terms of the ability to either attract eyeballs or fill seats away from their home stadium, home city, and home state. Uh, I think BYU is going to uh, you know, dominate the crowd composition down in Las Vegas. Um, uh, you know, you know, commission uh, you know, conferences and networks will continue to take notice of, of what BYU can do uh, on a national setting. And, and I think, you know, you know parenthetically, uh, from, from venue uh, improvements, facilities, to internal programs, uh, to things BYU's done over the last just five years, I, I think all show that the Cougars are positioning themselves as a program, uh, you know, to be highly considered if somebody chooses to reconfigure, you know, their their particular group here in the next few years. I, I just think that, you know, you know, things like the the Learfield Directors Cup, which kind of take a look at where you are as an overall program, continue to show you know, that BYU is not a one-trick pony and can be nationally consistent in a variety of sports. And I think the things that, that tend to hang people up a little bit about BYU are, are the other things uh, that really aren't athletics-related. And I think if, if anyone were to make a purely you know, pragmatic, pragmatic and even academic decision on BYU, um, you know, it, it's, it's just this side of a no-brainer as to what kind of value they might bring uh, you know, to a conference, no matter what you know, grouping we're talking about moving forward, whether it's truly – just you know, P five conferences, or whether it's new imaginations of college football altogether. Greg Rubel joining us, BYU Cougar play by play voice. You know, you've been pretty clear about the rivalry on the field, and we're going to play something for you here in a second from uh, Kyle Whittingham. But before we do that, I'm I'm curious about where you think the rivalry is as far as the emotion 
uh, between the fans and in the fan base. You know, when it was the last game of the season, that just lends itself to this huge buildup. And now, no matter what happens, well, there's going to be 10 more games afterwards. It, it can't be the ultimate thing when there's still 10 games to go. So, aside from the on the field stuff, how do you think the rivalry exists in the minds of, you know, the fans and the players and all of that? It still feels pretty healthy, and, and I think I think too you have to look also to the emphasis the particular programs you know place on the game, and that's where I think where it's really told. And I think it's still as highly emphasized as ever, um, and 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 that's important to me. And and you know Utah, I, I think you know can can rightfully no matter how things are going at other points in their schedule, you know point to the fact that that the in-state rivalry has has gone their way for a decade plus and that and that's significant and and BYU conversely uh, without a championship to play for and and ideally rankings to strive for still has to look at getting back in the rivalry as something that that indicates, you know, progress and success and they haven't had it for a long long time. And so I think that would mean a lot, you know, for BYU to get, you know, to swing it back the other way or at least attempt to start to swing it back the other way. We've seen over time, guys, as you know, that these things have been, you know, somewhat cyclical to the extreme. This is about at the outside edge of where either team can have a win streak at nine or ten games. It rarely gets beyond that. And and so um, I, I'm sure the Cougar fans are hoping that the cyclical nature of it, even though it's been stretched out over a decade plus, begins to come back into equilibrium from a BYU standpoint. All right, here's the bite from uh, Kyle Whittingham doing an interview. Listen, and uh, then your reaction. Can you tell us three nice things about your rival? Uh, who's our rival? we got rivals in conference. we got rivals out of conference. Uh, you, you know doggone well I'm talking about BYU. Oh, that, uh, the in-state game. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> Uh, well, it's it, the dynamic has changed so much. Really? Yeah, because uh, you know they're no longer in the same conference. We were in the same conference for ever, you know, right. 60, 70, 80 years. I can't remember what it was, but but uh, so it's changed, and and we've started to develop a, a little bit of a rivalry with uh, USC, Colorado, mm-hmm. Arizona State. I mean, there's just been some some things that are starting to uh, materialize inside the Pac-12, and so uh, that's why I asked that question. But I get you. Coach. But uh, yeah, let's skip to the next question. <laughs> <laughs> so I because I don't know how to address it i don't know which way to go with it thoughts well i would say kyle's being coy i think i think a little bit of a rivalry is accurate compared to the 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 decades of history against byu and you know i mean it's a real thing i mean kyle cares about not only beating byu but never having lost to byu in more than a decade and and you know whether it's countdown clocks in the facility or otherwise it matters always has and, and always will and so, again, I think there's a level of coyness there, but that's okay. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's okay for them to, um, to project toward the Pac-12 and say this is, you know, we've kind of left certain components of our, of our past behind and are, and are aiming this direction. That's okay, and that's, and that's reasonable, and that's logical, and, and I get it. But uh, BYU is still BYU to the Utes, and I think uh, it'll always be that way. You think it's the biggest game on BYU's schedule? I think a lot within that program, believe it is. Yeah, fair enough. Because, because, because I think they kind of drew a line in the sand uh, more than a decade ago. And so far that line has stayed intact. And, and, and so with every year that, 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 you know, that, that belief that we're not going to lose these guys again, for every year that that extends, I think it continues to, to matter and mean more to that extent that we haven't, you know, we're not going to lose again and they haven't lost again, that, 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 that kind of thing. 
What level of confidence do you think the fan base has in Kalani to pull off a big season or big seasons when they take a bigger view going forward? Uh, I, 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 say that again. Uh, I'm, I'm curious what level you think, and, and the reason is that the follow-up to this is, um, you know, how much faith does the football administration have above him, the athletic department administration above him, and the leadership above Tom have in Kalani. And I'm curious how much the fan base has in Kalani, if they're aligned, if they're on the same plane. Oh God! You know, I'm 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 only speculating as to what the highest of higher ups believe. But but how, how could you not be pleased with not only um, the success of the program, just in terms of wins and losses? Um, you know, the, the national image that BYU projects and the Kalani projects, um, the affability that that naturally you get with Kalani, um, his ability to to interact with and express appreciation for the fan base. I think fans love Kalani. I do. I I, I, I think media love Kalani. I, I would I would be hard pressed to think of somebody that doesn't think favorably and highly of of Kalani. Um, I, I think he is, in a lot of ways, a reflection of his mentor and his head coach, Lavelle Edwards, in, in many ways. They're not identical personalities by any stretch, but there are a lot of components of each of those gentlemen that I think uh, reflect very well uh, with one another. And uh, again, the wins are there. You have one dip season in five years when you're trying to rebuild and figure out coaching personnel. That's clearly forgivable. I think with what they were able to do with last year's season, how they put people in the NFL, uh, the general trajectory of the program, how it looks, how it feels, how it sounds on game day, I, I, I think it's, BYU is in as positive a spot as they could hope to be in. And, and the guy leading it, to me, is the right guy at the right time. And as you can tell, I mean, I, I, I clearly am a big fan of Kalani myself personally. I've had enough interactions with him since his playing days through now working with him as a broadcaster and him being the cat coach that uh, – just makes my job so easy. Um, I, I, I know that fans lo- love him for a lot of good and genuine and real reasons, and I'm just so glad that uh, you know he is directing this program right now that I get to cover. Greg, as always, good to talk to you, and uh, everything will start ramping up here for you shortly. It'll be nonstop. As always, gentlemen, it is my pleasure. Uh, you work with the great Yacht, and, and seeing Jake on, on a relatively, if not daily, weekly basis in Provo uh, is, is a joy. And uh, you guys have a good one, as you know. And you guys are good ones, uh, as everyone knows. And uh, always good to be with you. There's Greg Rubel, the radio voice of the BYU Cougars. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us. Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag college football. Nick, at Bill, we want you to be employee number one. We want to pay for your tuition. I walk on that's been busting his butt here a long time is Talmadge Gunther. Talmadge. Yeah. You can thank Coach. We want you to be employee number two, and we want to pay for your tuition. What do you want to do? All walk on. Step up. Oh, Boys, one through thirty-six in the house. Yeah! Yeah!
Build Brands announcing their name, image, and likeness deal to help BYU walk on six grand a year, PK. It's a pretty big payday for walk on. You could hear them going nuts over it. Scholarship players will get a grand each, so it's going to be about a $300,000 deal for uh, Bill Barr. Thomas, we want to have your children. That's what I wanted to hear. (laughs) (laughs) That's awkward. (laughs) We're going down that road. That would have been a (laughs) curveball. How long is this? One-time deal? It sounds like a one-year deal right now. It could go forward, but all I've heard is about this year. This is a multi-year partnership in the release. The partnership with the school. So will that extend to the walk-ons in future years? Well, you can't have a partnership with the school. You can only have it with the kids. They are also a partner with BYU Athletics as well. Well, not in this thing. They're not. Not in this instance. Individual thing here. You can't be paid for athletic accomplishments, but they haven't had any accomplishments to be paid for. So uh, that's great. It's great for those those walk-ons. Uh, you know, what does it mean going forward? What does it mean towards winning? And ultimately, that's what the fan cares about. What, what is it going to help them win? You know, great for these kids that they can get. Uh, but, but a lot of them are already in the financial situation to where they're okay to begin with or else they wouldn't be walking on. They still like the six grand, but you're right. Because if they couldn't pay it, then they wouldn't be there. Right, right. So, Somehow they're getting it. Now, some of them may be getting it through federal aid or whatever, but whatever. still, they're one way or another, they're getting it. Yeah, I mean, they're paying their tuition. That's great, and it saves them money, uh, which is... It doesn't make them money, but it saves them money. So in a sense, it makes them money. But what does it do to help win? Because Joe and Mary Fan, that's what they care about. Is it going to help you beat Utah? In the short run, no. In the long run, will it help you? I mean, we hear the story about the walk-on who turned into a star. I think those are few and far between, but they do happen. Do you have an advantage getting walk-ons if you're doing this and other people aren't? I assume other people are going to catch up to this. But... Obviously, that'll take a while. We'll see how long. Well, they can announce it today. I just Good. liked it that they announced it on the day that Utah was doing oh, yeah, their, that was, their that was, uh, facility. that's thing. for announcing stuff on our media day. <laughs> <laughs> We're announcing Bill yeah. for Life. We're I mean, announcing this. They knew full well that this was their yep. uh, unveiling of yeah. their facility there. And, uh, the, the, and Kitchen an hour ahead of time. Genius. Genius. But there's no rivalry here. You know, that in-state school. What's its name? I can't remember. We, 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 we're not, nah, man. Yeah, we, we're gonna. We got the Trojans, man. I mean, a long, storied, storied history that we have with those guys. It goes back the turn of three centuries ago. So, uh, if it helps them win, I, because I'm speaking from the fan perspective, I'm not sure what it does to help them win, but. For the kids who are walking on for this season, and if they can have it next year and the year after too, because basically then they what they do is they increase the scholarship limit, so they get around the scholarship limit of eighty-five. Nice, yeah, right. Because if you're going to miss on one out of every three or four kids, well, the more kids you get in the program, then your odds of having good players go up. I Instead agree, of hitting yeah. on. 65, 70, 75% of 85 kids hit on 65, 70, or 75% of 115 or 120 kids. Plus, I think there's a lot of kids in the BYU program who grew up dreaming of playing for BYU. 
Okay, but that goes back to your point. Are those kids going to make a difference on the field? I'm not going to ca- I'm not saying that the walk-ons don't make a difference. I'm saying, does this help you win? Plenty of walk-ons have made a difference. Chad Lewis, Dennis Pitta. I mean, the list goes on and on. I, yeah, there are many, many of them have. Uh, I think Lewis was a walk-on, wasn't he? The NCAA, uh, yeah. Yeah, he was. So there's plenty of kids can help make a difference. Does it help make them win? So the NCAA has a constitutional convention coming up. What are they going to say? Because originally, it sounded like this was the thing that wasn't going to be able to happen. The school couldn't broker these deals. And I was never clear on how that was going to be enforced. Now, the NCAA seems to have pulled back. I know different states have passed different laws. In some of the stories I was reading, Utah hasn't passed anything. And BYU, according to the ESPN.com story, did not ask the NCAA if this is okay. They don't have to. Right? The NCAA has I think the NCAA has got the hands off. And I think when we come out of the Constitutional Convention, the hands are going to be off. And Schools are going to broker these deals. Sexual deals and they find bail or 5000 grand. Right. 5, so then then is on. the schools are going to broker these there's deals. There's no there's no such thing as the NCAA anymore. You and, don't don't ever bring that up again. So the schools are going to broker these deals and there's more of them coming and players are going to get more money. But what does it mean for winning? Well, it depends on how much money your guys are getting versus how much money other schools' guys are getting. Well, BYU's never going to pay top rate. Well, right now they, they pride are. themselves in that. Right now they are. Now, that may only be, like you said, until some other school makes an BYU's announcement. BYU's not paying a money out of this. Okay, they're making sure the players get paid. Well, their scholarships are getting covered. Pac-12 announced the conference is reverting to its standard policy regarding forfeiting games. So we'll see if that rears its head this year if teams are unable to go. We saw it last year. We'll see if this year they're able to get through it and not have that happen. No, I don't think it'll happen. If if you've got it, whatever, you go stand over there. Play on. As long as the position group doesn't get wiped out because they're all in a meeting room breathing on each other and all of a sudden you're out offensive linemen or you're out quarterbacks like the Broncos were. And did they forfeit? Well, they played the game, but essentially <laughs> they did. They had no chance to win the thing. Did they so, forfeit? Nope. No, they put the game on TV. They wanted to be paid. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. Preseason action, New England beat Washington 22-13, Pittsburgh beat Philly 24-16. The locals you care about, Kyle Van Oy, back in New England, had three tackles. Harvey Lange had ten tackles. Team high. Is that a good sign, PK? I mean, it's good that he made a lot of tackles when he was out there, but if you're really good, you're not out there. You're probably out there because you're on the bubble. So, You answered your own question. Dax Milne had a couple catches for 16 yards for Washington. Rams will not play their starters in the preseason for the fourth straight season. Sean McVay says being healthy for the regular season is job one. He could be holding out as many as 36 players. So that's starters and a lot of second teamers, too. Niners starter Jimmy Garoppolo will play one series tomorrow against the Chiefs. And then Trey Lance, the number three overall pick, will get to play the rest of the first half. See what Trey Lance has. And I, I think Trey uh, Lance is dating your no-state-taxes hero, the daughter of Colin Coward. Oh, really? Yeah. There's a connection there. You don't hear him anymore because he's not on your radio when you go home. 
like he's he used my, to. He's on my TV. But he's on my satellite, so I, I listen to him on the drive home. And, uh, so he's referencing that Trey Lance was at his house in Manhattan Beach. And so uh, put two and two together, did a little research. Sure enough, there's a connection there. And if you go on her Instagram... She has a lot of his daughter, Liv, I think it is, L-I-V. A lot of shots in Utah because uh, I think uh, Calvert has some property up by Promontory somewhere. Love in the Summit County. He's got stuff on social media about it, too. He's up there a lot. DJ and PK. Hashtag Utah Jazz. Jazz Summer League team is back in action. They're 2-0 in the Vegas Summer League. They're playing the Miami Heat Summer League team. Cox Pavilion, 3 o'clock on ESPNU. Forrest has his two-way contract, so some of the drama, what all these guys are playing for, slowly being resolved as guys get deals. And I think Forrest is one that a lot of people were curious about. As Abuike is under contract, they're the guys that seem to be shining. Yes, you like anybody else? I love them all. <laughs> Come on, seriously. <laughs> what do you mean I like them? I in terms of You've what? got a keen eye for talent. This guy can play in the NBA. Fill in the blank, this guy. Pretty much the same guys who were at the end of the bench last year are going to be the... Azubuke and Forrest, and we'll see if Bryant makes it. Obviously, Butler's going to be there because they signed him, what, yesterday? Uh, to a two to a two year deal, didn't they? Was that what it was? That's what second round picks get. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, and then they're on, un- but they're unrestricted free agents after the first year, aren't they? Or no, they're restricted free agents. It's restricted, restricted, restricted free restricted, agents, not unrestricted. Uh, so, those those are some of the guys right there, right? And then, what are they going to do with a couple of the other guys that have been around? We've seen them. I assume they would be back, flush out the roster just like they've been doing. ESPNU, 3 o'clock today. You can watch the Jazz and the Heat, the Summer League teams. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. Kawhi Leonard remaining with the Clippers. Four-year deal, $176.3 million. Fourth year is player option. Players always like to have that option here at the end. That gives them two swings of free agency in case they have an injury or something goes wrong. They stop back in, try again, and crank their value up. And, of course, he's going to make a lot of money year one when he's not playing because he's expected to miss a big chunk of this season. We'll see if it turns out to be something went wrong. Yeah. We'll see if it turns out to be all of of this year, this coming season. I don't think But it's going to be a big chunk of it anyway. Rockets guard Jalen Green, second overall pick in the NBA draft, exited summer league action with a sore right hamstring. He's going to have an MRI. Orlando Magic guard Jalen Suggs, fifth overall pick. Apparently done. Sore left hand. He left their game. So we'll see if he's back for a future game. A lot of Jalen's out there. That's two. You got more? Jalen Hall. Jalen Rose. Absolutely. Yeah. Famous Jalen's. Hit us up on Twitter. David DJ James. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. Why did they wait so long, PK? Overwhelming round of applause. Appreciation. People love the Field of Dreams game in Iowa. White Sox, in storybook fashion, blow the lead in the ninth, give up four runs. 
And then come back at Tim Anderson. It's a walk-off homer to give him the 9-8 win. And 102 years ago, the first White Sox walk-off homer to beat the Yankees is hit by Joe Jackson, Shoeless Joe, who was part of the story in the movie, Life Imitating Art. I don't really care about that, but uh, that was a phenomenal game. It's the best regular season game I've ever seen. Whoever put the field together and all that, they got it right. The scoreboard looked good. The corn was a little taller than the fence. Good work there. Players walking in through the corn. Yeah. The it music was, playing. I mean, they, the whole theatrical part of this, they got it right. It was a corn maze. M-A-Y-S. Not M-A-I-Z-E. It's unbelievable. It was, this is a game that is intertwined in our hearts. Whether it is or not in yours, nobody cares. But it is for a lot of people. The fathers and sons. Hey, Dad, want to hit a home run? <laughs> there are a few, a few guys went yard in that game. <laughs> and the big beast, well, well, the two big beasts for the Yankees did. And the big dudes uh, for uh, the White Sox, Jimenez and Abreu, the giant men. And then Stanton and Judge, Judge twice. And then little dudes, Tim Anderson, very good shortstop, has been for a few years now, and, and, and Garner hit one. Yeah, it couldn't have been more perfect, man. It just summed it up, what it was about. And I'm so glad I was a part of it. Watched the whole thing. And they'll do it again. And the, Well, this is the original Dream Team. They won't top it. But why not do it again? And then next week, uh, or the week after... Whenever it is, they go over to Williamsport. I think it's Cleveland. What are they? What's their new nickname? The Mavericks or something? I don't know. Guardians. I don't know why they... No, is it just Guardian or Guardians? Guardians. I don't know why they didn't go to the Tuners. Give me something with rock and roll, man. The Tune. Should go back to the Cleveland Spiders. The Tune. I like that. We're going to play the Tune. We got the Tune Up. Really blew it on that one. Tuners hit a sour note. All your old headlines. You don't even have to have tuners. You can just go to the tune. And I think it's them and the Angels are going to play. And the little kids will go crazy. I'm going to make a prediction that we're going to have MLB as long as I'm living. I mean, I know it's a dying sport. And all you soccer and basketball people like to put it down. But I'm I'm going to make this statement. It's going to exist for as long as I live. Bold. I think you'll win on that one. A lot of blowouts in the big leagues. Reds 12-3 over the Braves. Diamondbacks 12-3 over the Padres. You Darvish left with back tightness in the third inning. Brewers 17-4 over the Cubs. And the Athletics 17-0 over Indians. Those are, those are some uh, rec league softball scores right there, PK. People are putting up numbers. You put a piece of lumber in a man's hand, you know what he is? A lumberjack. Dangerous. Shohei Otani, six innings. He improves to 7-1 on the air as his Angels beat the Blue Jays 6-3. MVP, any doubt about it? Anybody going to beat him out for it? I haven't thought about that yet. Give me some time to think about that. For all the runs that were scored, Marco Gonzalez had it going on. A two-hitter. Mariners beat the Rangers 3-1. So there was a strong pitching performance out there to balance all the other stuff. Your Phillies charging. They beat your Dodgers 2-1. Bryce Harper. 
homering his Phillies avoid the sweep at the hands of the Dodgers. Harper's bearing down on his second MVP there. It's heating up. Salt Lake Bees lost their series opener to the Sacramento River Cats. 5-2, game two tonight, 6-35. Steve Klauke will be on the air on the zone at 6-20. Tickets at slbs.com. Say goodbye to a couple of uh, big names. Orioles slugger Chris Bryant retires after 13 Chris seasons. Chris Bryant. That's Chris, Chris Davis. Chris Davis, yes. He retires. He had, uh, he had a lot of money left on that deal, so he's going to get... In, He's going to be getting paid for the next few years. He's got the Bobby Bonilla-type deal with paydays coming every year. Jake Arrieta waved. Cubs say goodbye to him. Cy Young Award winner in 2015. DJ and PK. Hashtag RSL. RSL back home to face Austin. Expansion team. It has been shut out seven times in the last nine matches. Of course, two times they scored. It was three and four goals. They went nuts. But they get shut out a lot. RSL, a great chance to pick up a win at home. Eight o'clock as they start the second half of the season. Rio Tinto Stadium, eight o'clock. Second half? It's freaking middle of August. The second half? 17 games down. <laughs> 17 games to go. Didn't start till April. It wasn't like a bad dream. It never ends. Lock in, PK. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Do we have, we have Locked on RSL? No. No, we don't. Because Locke doesn't like soccer, huh? He tried to launch it at one point. <laughs> the game's on KMYU, KSL TV app, and ESPN+. What is trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock and Plumbing. baseball started in April. Big deal. It started in April. That's some excuse. It didn't start till April? Yeah. <laughs> so friggin' what? Yeah, they shut it down for three weeks, so. <laughs> shut it down forever. halfway. <laughs> Making too much money to do that. Not going to do it. Blaine Fowler, BYU football and basketball analyst on BYU TV, the former Cougar quarterback, is going to join us at 8 o'clock. David Locke, radio voice of the Jazz here at 9 o'clock. He'd been on vacation. We haven't talked to him since uh, everything shook out with the draft and free agency, trades, roster moves. Get his thoughts on the Jazz and the Western Conference. A lot of stuff since it's shooken out. Shooken. Shaken. David's coming up at 9 o'clock here on The Zone. DJ and PK, the question of the day is next. Stay with us. The Big Show show. with Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. I had a discussion with my buddy once. What would be your least desired position to play in team sports? Punt returner might be (laughs) Where your job is to field a fly ball like you're playing center field and have 11 (laughs) maniac elite athletes who want to remove your head from your body. Arrive like a split second after the ball. It's like catching a fly ball on the freeway. Yes, sounds like a terrible job. If you can think about another tweet at us, a position that you'd least want to play in all of team sports. Or you could include individual sports if there's some danger in I don't want to hold the target on the archery range. Yeah. I, don't, I don't want to catch the javelin. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK in the morning proudly presented by Mark Miller Subaru. 
Question of the morning. Built Bar is doling out cash to BYU scholarship and walk-on players. How much can this help the Cougars? Brad believes it will help with recruiting to a degree. Hopefully, BYU can get more things like this. I would expect more. Why wouldn't we expect more? Other people are going to get them. Isn't going to end up being an arms race, just like football facilities and football stadiums and coaching salaries? So then everything washes out. It's a flush. If you get ahead, a push. Striking first maybe helps a little. Yeah, but then they t- then, then, then somebody else builds something else, yeah. and away we go. Hard to believe that BYU is going to raise more money than uh, USC, right? Or Alabama. But are they going to raise yeah. more than the schools they're competing against for oh. recruits? I mean, I don't really think anybody thinks BYU is going to out-recruit Oregon. Nike money ought to flow into Oregon. I would assume that Nike will see this and think, oh, yeah, easy. We can do that. Done. But they're not playing Oregon. They're playing Arizona State, and they're playing Virginia. Well, they're and playing SC, though. No, they're playing SC this year. You're right. Literal. Yeah. I think the Pac-12 is their competition. They don't right. necessarily have to play them to Boise State, Utah them. State, and the Pac-12. Well, I'm, I, Everybody in their backyard, because they're recruiting for the same kids. Whoever's taking your kids, whoever's recruiting LDS kids is your enemy. That's in recruiting. What will Stanford do? Yeah. So, you don't have to play them each individual season, but they're your enemy. So, uh, how does this help BYU be a program that can produce more wins? I think it sends a message, which I think has already been sent, but it further sends it, that we're big time. So, come after us, because we can help you. So, that's a message for Iowa State and Texas Tech. Whatever configuration is going to be out there in the next few years, I don't. I we can guess. So it's because there's. I assume I don't know anything about this built bar thing. Uh, nothing against them. I just don't know anything about it. I know it's some candy bar type thing. Uh, Yak brought one in. I had one. Fine, but I assume the dudes are LDS guys who want to help their fan program. Maybe I'm wrong. Breaking news, you're dead on. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, it's obvious. The Utah County Company that yeah, I mean, it's an is obvious, a BYU fan. It's an obvious connection, right? Yeah, right. And because of that, it's not like other programs don't have that connection, but BYU has it on multiple levels. They have the religious angle and then the fan angle. And for a lot of people, that's one and the same. And that really matters to them. And great. No problem with that at all. So it sends a message that, okay, we're a little bit different. But our differences can actually be your benefits. That's what I like. And the individuals, uh, Thomas and Nick and whoever these walk-on kids are, great for them. Because ultimately I was a walk-on. I view myself as a permanent walk-on. Paid for every cent of my college education. Not one penny came from any place else but me. And so I was the ultimate walk-on for, every, for all five years I went to college. And 
So that would have been great to have that financial relief and not have to pay the student loans back until my 30s. I wish my student loan would have been forgiven. Actually, I don't because it set a standard. I'm accountable for me. And whatever I'm going to make in my life is going to come from me. It's not going to come from the government. It's not going to come from anybody else. It's going to come from me. And that was a lesson that was taught to me early by no words, just by actions. So good for them. I appreciate for them and the hard work that they're putting in. That's awesome. The bigger message, I think, sends to be to, to other schools and conferences out there. We're big time. Look at what, look at what we're doing. This is another sign. Come visit us, man. It's the same thing with the jazz. Come visit us before you come up with somebody told you something or you heard something. Come see for yourself, which I think most NBA players do. I think it's insulting to think that they don't. And I think that, that they see that. And we saw it again this offseason. It may not be the most glamorous spots, and so you may not get the high, highest profile free agents, but nobody gets the highest profile free agents except for one or two or three or four teams anyway. So that's never going to change. As much as Jazz fans have a chip <laughs> on their shoulder about this, Orlando has a bigger chip. They lost Shaq. They lost Dwight Howard. Holy cow. Who's been Holy hurt? cow. Who's been hurt more? Holy fook is what I would say. <laughs> That's a throwback. <laughs> we too low. So, sure, you're not going to get that. But who gets that? And I don't know that anybody's getting that. The Suns got Nash, and nobody thought Nash would be what he was after he got there. Cubans got all the money in the world and didn't think he was good enough anymore. Lakers, and, Clippers, Warriors. Win, win, win. So you, know, you got like a few Cuban. teams there that, that that could work. So I'm over that, and that's always going to be there. Sure, I get it. But other than that, NBA players will come search this out. They'll investigate it from the, for themselves, and they'll make the decision that they feel is best for them. But it won't be, oh, you go live in Utah. I don't want to be in Utah. Utah this, Utah that. No. I, I, I do not believe that. And I think that if these other football conferences and presidents and commissioners and so forth would come check out BYU, they'd see the same thing. Yeah, we got some differences there, and the Sunday issue was always going to be there, which so be it. I mean, it's stupid to even talk about it. Well, I don't understand that how their guys can go play pro and yada yada, or they can fly on. I've seen them fly on planes, and we can just beat that to death. But that's what they hold true, so it's not changing. Uh, but if you can work around that, and we're, we're your guys. So, and I think this sends a real good message because it made national news. It was great. Great to do it sort of already. We're in our second week of training camp, and it's already kind of boring, training camp. You kind know? of? Yeah. Well, I beg I say, I think for some people it's not. And particularly if for those who can have access to practice and they can see stuff, and there's a quarterback situation going on. I don't think that's boring. If you have access, that would not be boring because there are quarterback battles going yeah, on. Right. But very few people have that. I don't know who does or who I know some do. I, I don't know how many do. I can't answer if it's few or what. I don't know. I haven't tallied that up. Uh, so the timing of it was just absolutely excellent. And get it out in the morning so you got all day. To soak it up and do your it's thing up on with your, website, your silly eyeballs. The video was out on social stuff. media. Yeah, for whoever was in charge of that, you got your biggest bang for your buck with Built Bar. That's a lot of bees. 
the killer bees. Baby. <laughs> and so that was genius. Because you got a ton of run for that. Smart, smart move by the Cougars. Everybody who was involved in that, way to go. And you, you usurped Utah's uh, south end zone thing. I don't think there's any doubt about that. You got one up on them. Way to go. Not a rivalry, though. We don't, we don't, not, not much of a rivalry anymore. Who are you talking about? Yeah, we're, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they don't realize the more you try to diminish, the bigger the rivalry becomes. Because it's not going away. <laughs> Told somebody about that at Channel 2. Did you hear that? No. Oh, PK and I played it this morning. Well, what'd he say? I told him. Yeah. Just roaring with laughter. Yeah. Somebody who doesn't root for either team just thinks it's hilarious. No, it's, they would just downgrade each other. Just, oh, come on. When I was with the Watchdog, you know, Majerus and I had a thing going on, and the athletic administration tried multiple times to get me removed from the beat which was the exact wrong thing to do. All you're doing is drawing more attention to it. <laughs> and now he's on for another year. Yes. Well, I was going to take you off, but yeah. I can't do it now. Right, right. The whole newsroom will think I'm weak. Right, exactly. And so I wanted to tell them over there on the Hill, no, I, I, I got it. You don't like me. I'm a bulldog kind of guy. I don't get along well with people. I don't play well with others. <laughs> but going in there and... Having these meetings with these administrators, it's backfiring on you. It's not going to work. Just let it die, and then it'll die. But you keep bringing it up. So if you want the rivalry to die, quit talking about it. They can't, (laughs) because it's a rivalry. Quit acting like it's not a rivalry and trying to sell us on friggin' Colorado. No. (laughs) That's the joke of all jokes. Empty stadium. Nobody would be talking about it if you would have just addressed it. But by doing what you did, you actually increased the attention to it. So that's my little preaching on that. So for BYU, genius move. You got tons of bang for your buck, which is what you're looking for, man. So from that perspective, I think it's absolutely awesome because it elevates its profile and it sends a message. Because how much are you going to pay? You know, money talks. Money, money's everything. And so, what are you going to be able to do there? How much money can you bring into us? How big time are you? You're pretty big time, I think. You don't have the affiliation yet, but that's the only thing standing in your way. And you need to get it. And they know they need to get it. They need to get it in the right way. And I hope it comes their way because I think they're big time, and they should be in there. So will there be another deal after Built Bar? Because eventually everybody else is going to get this deal. Oh, there's going to be tons of stuff. I mean, we, we had Tom Homo talking and we had Mark Har- Harlan, and they both acknowledged that, you know, a month from now, six weeks from now, two months from now, and so forth and so on, it's going to change dramatically. It's an exciting time in that way. Things are changing all the time. So, yes, of course. Others will get it, and they'll have other stuff, too. I mean, BYU, I mean, I don't know what the what the numbers are, but they've got to lead the country in entrepreneurs. I mean, that's the dream. Be an entrepreneur. Make some money off of fellow ward and stake members. That's what it's about, man. So then you have your freedom. You can go to your kids' games after you take them over to John Beck to get them trained. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Am I off base here? 
<laughs> no, I tell you when you're off base, you're not off base. No, this is not off base at I'm all. just willing out to point truth as I see it. And others are reluctant to say it because, you know, they're worrying about offending. I mean, but the truth is the truth. It's John. what they do. It's what they do. The kid's got an arm. John being a medical, metaphorical John Beck. There's plenty <laughs> of John Becks out there. I mean, basically, you go to BYU and you're not good enough, so you open up a camp. Nice. And you try to make money. Off your fellow church members. Aha! That's what they're there for. (laughs) (laughs) Did you think your purpose in the universe was? Right. And hopefully it works. If you're like Ty Detmer, maybe it doesn't as much. (laughs) So then you got to fleece BYU for as much money as you can uh, get them uh, to pay you. Ty's had some good gigs going. He's had some good side gigs. Yeah, but didn't he have the whole uh, financial thing with some church guy and sold him out? I mean, that was the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, it was one of those. Yeah. But he, he was hitting people up. He shows up at outdoor expos and sets up the hunting guides. Right, because he got fleeced all this, this money. Yeah, this, <laughs> this one didn't work, so I'll be over here doing this. And I don't blame him. Wherever you can make a buck, it's above board. Nothing wrong with it. Have, have at it. Go ahead I'll and do it. I'll tell you some Lavelle stories while we walk across the open range. Awesome. Who wouldn't want that? Yeah. Personable dude. So, yeah, go ahead and do it, man. Money's, money's what, you know, got to have it. So... From BYU's perspective, I thought it was a genius move. Ross says it's the only time BYU will ever have a bar on campus. Jacob says, love it. Time to support another great local company. That's what Bill Bar wants to hear right there. Exactly. Yes. So for Bill, the Bill Bar folks, now they good got on you they getting got, they the got a lot of tons mileage. of run, too. The, the rollout was done well. Bill yeah. Bar got a lot of mileage That's out what it's it. about. Yeah. Ben says it'll definitely save him some money on bill bars. I don't know if they can get a discount. Uh, Don says, honestly, who cares what this does or doesn't do for the Cougars? This is great for the kids. Power to the players. Well, the fans care. The fans care a lot. That's that's just fans care a lot. What does it mean for winning? Out of all of this, I think the biggest thing to the fans is this is a potential way to get around the scholarship limit. And expand that. Now, it's not as good as a scholarship, but when they cut the next deal, it might be. Because this is covering tuition, so there's still books and room and all that stuff that's covered by a scholarship that isn't covered here. Now, BYU may announce another deal you know, next month, and maybe that'll end up getting covered. It seems like that's where we're going. If you've watched what happened with coaching salaries and football facilities and football stadiums, I don't see why we wouldn't go there. Yeah, I don't know how that big of a deal is because, as I said, those kids are already finding ways to pay for it. Right, but money talks, and people who have a lot of money want more money. Billionaires don't. Millionaires and billionaires want to make more millions and more billions. I don't see why a college football player wouldn't want to make more thousands. But they're not ma- the, the walk-ons aren't making any money. <clears throat> well, they're not having to come up with six grand. They're not making money. They may be saving money. And how many of them? It, it's, a penny saved is a penny earned. But it's their parents. Yeah. And so when you sit on a home visit or you text somebody, however the recruiting cro- process is playing out, you said it earlier. Somebody's going to want to know. Yeah, but see, that's where I think BYU, the parents desperately want him to go to BYU. The kid has dreamed of going to BYU. And that's so why BYU I, probably doesn't have to pay top dollar. I don't know. 17th walk-on is going to, wow, they're going to pay, so they, I'm going to go there. Can they just be ballpark with what everybody else is doing? That's where they probably don't have to pay top dollar because they do have that in a lot of these recruiting cases. As and it probably it, depends on who The parents want you to against. go there. 
they're, you're going to go there. If, they, if you want to go there. If it's a match between parent and kid, then it's going to happen, whether Bilt Bar is around or not. But if it isn't a perfect fit, then maybe the money will grease the skids for some of these kids who are going to USC and Oregon and Stanford and on down the line. No, 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 This no, isn't going to no. change any of that? Then what are fans excited about? Because that's what they're hoping. Right. It's not going to change that's all of them. That's what I said. It's obviously not going to change all of them, but it's right. not going to change some of them. You love to do that. Right, because that's how it works. <laughs> you know, isn't it one, one or two? Sure. But it, football is a game of numbers. And if you're intent on going to Stanford, Build Bar is not going to convince you probably, to go to Pro Probably the hardest pull. Right. And if you're intent on going to SC, you're, you're talking top-level kids here. We're not talking the, these kids who got affected. You're talking this. We all know the names. You know this McGee McGee kid who's the in the running for quarterback at Stanford now. And his was a little bit different because they were a mess at the time. They were. I think it was right after the four and nine season. Uh, the hardest or, time to or, recruit. Or right. Seven and no, six. No, we're gonna iron this out. Don't yeah. worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. So a little different pitch right now. Yeah. It, it is. It is. No, you so talk maybe, to a quarterback now and say, yeah, we can get you to the NFL. This guy's the number two pick in the draft. Maybe it would be different. And I know that the kid, I know BYU told the kid, go to Stanford and we're here for you. Right right until the end, right until he signed, literally the night before. There was a, there was a connection and a communication. We're here for you. If you need to transfer, yeah, yeah. pick up the phone. And this is before he went on a mission. Uh, so... Uh, but those kids like Fajoko, who's with the Cowboys now, local kid. And, Not getting to him. And, and maybe, too, they were – maybe these kids now are the result of the 4-9. and nine. <clears throat> The kids that are – not choosing not to go to BYU now, but the kids who are getting done with their eligibility now. Maybe that was the result of the 4-9s. So when Fajoko's coming out uh, – BYU's in no position. They're not. They're not where they are now. So maybe that can change. But I don't see where this thing that happened yesterday is going to have much effect on that. It's great for these individuals. I'm happy for them. Apps to be rewarded. There's nothing like being rewarded for your hard work. So don't go to the scholarship at that Mountain West school. Walk on to BYU because Built Bar and Company XYZ, whoever comes in next. Is going to help you out. See, I already think they're doing that, though. It's BYU, right? But they're going to be Mom better. Mom and Dad want to go. You want you to go there. You want to go there. Th- those types of kids will cement it, but they were already going anyway. But now they'll just cement it, so there'll be no discussion if this continues. This is only a one-year spiel, as yeah. far as I know. Right. So we don't know if and it's going to be there for five, six years. And I also don't know that having one deal like this is going to be enough. The arms race gets cranked up. Not, a, not It's not the arms race doesn't get cranked up in the Mountain West. Your example was the Mountain West. There's no arms race in the Mountain West. So what about with Boise State? What about with Boise well, State? Well, Boise huh? State's coming down here and recruiting kids. I mean, they tried to recruit Zach and didn't get him, so that works out well, in BYU's BYU favor anyway. BYU did offer him at the time. Well, as soon as BYU offered, he said but yes. there's another good quarterback at American Fork who just committed to Boise State. I mean, they're going to have to be they got 5,000 quarterbacks at <laughs> BYU now. I can tell you they didn't want him. So then this doesn't matter. There's a bunch of hype over nothing. Good for it the It does kids. matter. 
Every time I bring up an example that it matters, you say it doesn't, but then at the end you say it does. matters to these 36 kids very well. But does they, it matter to BYU fans? That's who we were talking to. Go back to what I said originally. It sends the message that this is big time. You're, you are a literal dude, and two and two has to equal four. So you want to well, see two and this. Two actually does equal right, four. So, right. Yeah. And, that, and that's why it works for you, because it does. You can see it. There's no argument. So you want something. They did this, and here's the result. And we can see it in black and white. I can't give you black and white on this. What I can tell you is this: they got a tremendous bang for their buck on this. It was all over the place. I saw it many different places that have no connection with BYU. The, the tight ends coach for ASU who got suspended, he retweeted it. That's just one little example. Yeah. So it sends the message, guys, ladies, we are big time. I can't put a tangible thing on that. You want tangible evidence. Okay, so what it's going to do none. then is it's going to put a finger on the scale for some kids for whom it's a close call. For the kids who it's a slam dunk to go to big time school, whatever, that doesn't I'm not it. interested in that. I'm interested in the message to get into the power five. I don't care about that. You do for some reason. So be it. You do. Great. I care about sending a message. We play big time football. The rules change July 1st by August 13th, August 12th. Look what we did. We're in it to win it. We play big time. That's the message that I care about. Not whether Johnny is going to choose Wyoming, Boise, or BYU. I don't care about that. DJ PK, when we come back... They got it right. And now they're going to do it again. Stay with us. The Top 60 and 60 is back on the Zone Sports Network. Get your college football fix every day at 1.30 as the Zone counts you down to the start of the 2021 season by listing off the top 60 players in the state of Utah as voted on by the local media. You'll also hear from the coaches as they talk about the players that will impact their season the most. It's the Top 60 and 60, weekdays at 1.30, presented by Cypress Credit Union and ICON, on your home of the best college football coverage in Utah. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Listen every day at one thirty to the 60 and 60. Hans and Scotty are announcing another member of the top 60 players in the state of Utah, counting you down to the start of the college football season. It's the top 60 and 60 presented by Cypress Credit Union and Icon Health and Fitness right here on The Zone Sports Network. Got a question up on our Facebook page this morning. Reaction. How could you not enjoy the single greatest regular season baseball game ever? It was absolutely beautiful. What would the nominees be for greatest regular season baseball games ever? You'd have to go down Cal- to like six because this is the first top five. <laughs> Cal Ripken breaking the record. They put on a show with him jogging around the ballpark and they had the numbers up on the warehouse out there. That was pretty good. And I was in the slot game. for the watchdog that night. And I, I, when you're in the slot, you have control over everything. The pressure's on you, and I wrote the headline, Rips, Ripken's streak dash so long. Freaking genius. <laughs> yeah, wordplay. <laughs> Legend. <laughs> those are regular season games, those one-game playoffs that, uh, you know, the Yankees and the Red Sox and Bucky Those, those are playoff games. Officially, they're game 163. I know, but they're playoff they games. feel like playoff games. What about, too. say, Barry Bonds? What about him? Him breaking the home run record. That was a huge spectacle. 
Man. Yeah, but it, you're right. Huge spectacle, but it doesn't feel like the greatest regular season baseball game. This was it. You can't top it. This is another thing. that I do this just to get on your skin because you just drive yourself bonkers trying to figure it out. And you can't come up with it. You can't top me. I gotcha. This could be it. It's not could be. I want to hear more nominees before we decide. Well, you can name 100 nominees, and they won't top this. Rob says, I never watch baseball, but I watched part of that game. So well, that's a good gather, a good measuring stick. When people aren't him. into it. We don't need him. When people aren't into it. We don't need him. <laughs> you may not, but he's there nonetheless. I don't care if he's there nonetheless. Triple compound word, irregardless. It doesn't matter. I don't need him. Jump on the bandwagon now, the greatest thing ever. It doesn't sound like he jumped on the bandwagon. It sounds like he gazed at the bandwagon. I don't care. Get out of here. I don't want you gazing on my sport. Get out. We don't need you. We don't want you. Rob, you're being rejected. Easily. (laughs) Swat Lake City. Rick says, even though my team lost, I don't think he could have scripted a better ninth inning. You could not. The thing about baseball... There's no more sport that has more romanticism than baseball. Dad, you want to have a catch. If you don't tear up on that, and I am the hardest courses SOB ever, and I do. Mm, You project that, but I don't think you actually are. They think I am. (laughs) (laughs) I could convince them otherwise, but it would ruin the show. I that. (laughs) So... With that in mind, I tear. If you don't tear up on that, something's wrong with you. There's nothing that compares to, hey, Dad, you want to go kick some penalty kicks? It just doesn't, I mean, it doesn't fly. <laughs> no offense to you people, but it doesn't fly. <laughs> you people. It doesn't fly like that. Hey, Dad, want to have a catch? Come on. The romanticism of this sport is off the charts compared to anything else. And they captured it in one night. It's absolutely beautiful. How could you not enjoy the single greatest regular season baseball game ever? And Christopher says, because baseball is boring. Yeah, that was pretty boring. When we come back, Blaine Fowler, BYU football and basketball analyst. Jump out of planes with no parachutes. Is that not boring? (laughs) I mean, what are we talking here? That would be terrifying. That would not be right. Boring. If that that's your level of boredom, horrific. Get out of my face. Blaine Fowler, former Cougar quarterback, now working on the BYU TV broadcast, joins us next to look ahead to the opener with Arizona and a season loaded with Pac-12 games. We'll talk with Blaine next. Stay with us. Time to talk college football with Blaine Fowler, BYU football analyst and basketball analyst on BYU. TV. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah is in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is the solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Blaine, good morning. What's going on, guys? I haven't talked to you forever, it seems like. I know, right? It's good to have you back on the show. It's good to be with you. So we are curious. BYU and all these Pac-12 games, have they got the roster to handle them? You think they're going 2-3, and 3-2? Three, three and two. What are you expecting? And, and, that, and just in that Pac-12 group, I, I don't know. I would say if I was going to pick between 2-3 and 3-2, three and three and I would say 3-2. I think, I think they're deeper than they've been in a long time, and that's what makes a difference when you play this type of a schedule because you're going to get some guys nicked up and 
whether they're serious injuries or not, you have to be able to to tap into that depth to be able to compete over the long haul when you're playing seven P5s in a season. I, I feel like Kalani finally, last year was probably the first year where I was comfortable that they had the depth to play the kinds of schedules they've been playing. And, and this year, even though they lost a number of guys in the NFL, they had a lot of players that have played a lot of downs and, and, uh, and they're deep at, at key positions. And, and positions where they haven't typically been deep, like deep at corner. And that's not something we seem like we ever say about BYU, but really deep at corner and really deep at wide receiver, another position that's not traditionally one where you have a bunch of guys um, deep at running back. All right? Literally, if, if we look historically at BYU and we'd say, what three positions is BYU typically? If they, have, they sometimes have a really good guy, but they're usually not very deep. Those are the three that we would mention, and those are three of the deepest positions for BYU this season. So, yeah, I think I think they're in good shape. If they can get consistent quarterback play, and whoever that guy is doesn't turn the ball over a bunch, um, I I think they'll surprise some people this this season. How much is that depth a product of Kalani being there a number of years? And when you recruit LDS kids, obviously it takes a little longer with missions and all that. So this is something that he needed to get and got it just due to the nature of building depth at BYU takes a while. I, I think it's exact. I think it's exactly that, PK. It, it's it's Kalani came in, and fundamentally, from from an offensive philosophy standpoint, and, and a little bit from a defensive side, they wanted to do some things differently. So they they had to almost start over with the type of player they were going to recruit, especially up front on both sides of the ball. And I, I'd point to the offensive line, um, the kind of offense that Robert and I wanted to run, and that and that Bronco wanted to run was a lot of the RPO stuff, quarterback in the run game stuff. Um, the offensive line, they wanted to come off the ball, kind of zone block all the time, run pass option. And and when Kwani came in, he said he wanted to return back to the old BYU roots. The I, We can call it the West Coast offense. It is not exactly like the old West Coast offense, but a lot of elements of that. What Aaron Roderick's running now is really similar. I mean, you can go back all the way to when I was playing, and, and a lot of the route combinations and things they're doing are the, the very same that, that Mike Holmgren was running and Norm Chow was running back in those days. To do that, to run that type of offense, you need longer pass blocking, you know, 6'4", 6'5", 6'6", even up to 6'8", type guys on that offensive line with long arms, um, very different type of player. And so they went out and they knew, and to your point, P.K., that if they're going to start over and kind of how they did that, they're going to recruit a bunch of guys. They were going to go off on missions. They were going to come back two years later. They were going to be somewhat useless their first year back as they got them back in shape. And it would be a four or five year deal before the, the, the guys that they recruited actually had experience and could contribute on the field. And we just saw that last year. And, and now what they've got is they've got juniors and some seniors that are in those leadership positions that have developed and are ready to go. And now they have the younger players that have come back from missions um, that are filling those spots. So, so now it's how it's supposed to be. And, and some places you could turn those, those things around in two or three years, but at BYU, as you guys know, it's, it's going to take four or five years to be able to do that. And I think that that's where Kalani is right now. So now that you get to that point, can they just keep it rolling? I mean, everybody has ups and downs, unless you're Alabama, and even they have little. Their their ups and downs are just smaller. But can they largely keep it rolling so that they don't have to endure the 
two steps back, two steps forward kind of stuff that frustrates fans who want to win all the time. Yeah, oh, I, I, I think they can. And, uh, you know, expectations have to be a little bit different when you're playing the kind of schedule they are. When, when I say keep it rolling, I'm not talking about the good old days when they played a couple of decent teams and a bunch of teams that they could just beat even if they were, you know, nicked up. Um, and so back in those days, hey, on a good year, you had to go out and win 11 games, right? And then on your re- reload year, because back in the good old days for, for BYU, you didn't rebuild, you just reloaded, right? On a reload year, you might win nine, right? Well, well now, an unbelievably special year would be 10 wins. And, and in some years this year, if they went out and won nine games this year, I think we'd all think, wow, that was something. And you, we would have never said that nine wins was okay 15 years ago, right? So the expectation has to be a little bit different. But, but I think the expectation that they don't rebuild anymore should, should be there now with the way they've got good players in every class and the, and the success they've had recruiting the kind of player that they need to get. So, so I don't think they have rebuild years anymore. I think he's in a position now where veterans can lead and play, younger guys that are very talented can learn the system, step in, and it, and it should perpetuate itself so that they have reload years. I mean, Kyle, Kyle has the University of Utah to that point. Um, and, and in great shape. So when, when they have a down year, it's, it's not a down to the basement year. It's, it's, they're just not quite as good. Maybe they're not competing for a Pac-12 South championship that year, but they're one team off of that, right? And for BYU, I, I think that, that on a down year, we should expect them to win or a rebuild year, um, re, reload year, let's call it, they should still win seven or eight games in those years. And then on a great year, they win nine games. And, and on a very special year, you know, maybe they go get 10 or 11, depending on the schedule. This Built Bar thing that came out, a couple of things. I think it's genius by Built Bar. Get their name out there even more. They got untold amounts of publicity, so good for them. And then certainly for the walk-on players to have their – uh, financial commitments to the university taken care of with uh, the money and all that stuff is great. The thing that I took from it, rather than try to look at it individually, the best thing from the BYU's perspective is it sent a message. The timing was excellent in that it's sort of a slow time in everyone's camps as we get closer to the season, but you know we're still a couple of weeks away, and the timing was excellent in that. I love the message that it sends to everybody out there as conferences are reevaluating what to do is that we are big time. This thing goes into effect a month and a half ago, and look what we did. And they got tremendous publicity for it. So it sends the message to whatever conference, to whatever schools, whatever commissioners and university presidents, BYU is big time, and we can help you get to where you want to go. We're a worthy partner. I think that's the message, and that is the most important thing that I took from that after the announcement was made and I thought about it. Respond to that. Yeah, I think you're right on the money. I, the, the amount of publicity that that announcement got yesterday surprised me. Um, I, when I heard about it, I had talked, talked with Kalani and, and with my son Gavin, who's on, on the coaching staff there, about it this last week, about what they were going to roll out. And, and I just thought, wow, this is genius. And, and then I thought, it's not just genius, it's cutting edge. It's leading out in this NIL thing. And, it, and it's not Clemson saying we're going to pay our quarterbacks a million bucks and then who cares about anybody else will figure that out. It's, it's BYU saying, hey, there's a right way to do this 
And we've been, and we've been anticipating this NIL thing coming for more than a year now. And we have things in place where we can take care of everybody and it can make a difference. And so that, that publicity alone yesterday, I mean, every single major um, internet entity, um, you know, electronic media entity picked that story up and had nothing but praise for, for how BYU thought outside of the box and how they were going to do that. And so, so I think you're, you're exactly right. People go, look at BYU. They're leading out. They're big time. And even though they're an independent, they, they have a great grasp of this. This is going to be good for their program. They're, all of that, I think, is fantastic. And, and in the end, and that, that helps bring more people um, and, and businesses to partner with you because uh, I mean, you, you just mentioned it. How much publicity? Did Built Bar ever imagine they were going to get that type of publicity yesterday? That was probably way more than they ever imagined, right? And so other other businesses are going to go. You know what? This is a good business partner to sign up with. We're going to run it through the university. It, it's going to be good karma for you. It's going to be great publicity. And and then in the end, what it does for Kalani, it helps recruit recruiting and. And we've all watched over the years. I, I was thinking I, I should put a list together just, just in the last 15 years of, of guys that BYU wanted, didn't quite have the scholarship numbers to get them. So they're, say they're just right number one or number two or number three right off the scholarship list. And they, they say to, to those kids, we want you to come as a preferred walk-on. But you got to pay the cost of your own education, and you can earn a scholarship, and these kids might be kids that grew up their whole life thinking they wanted to play at BYU, and they're good players, but in BYU's evaluation, is just right there borderline, and they have to make some decisions based on scholarships. But those kids have offers other places, whether it's Utah State or Fresno State or wherever it might be, um, or Southern Utah for that matter, and then they end up going to those places, and they're all Americans, and they go play in the National Football League. There's a whole list of those kinds of guys. Um, well, now you don't have to miss on those guys. You, you, can, you can bring those guys and you can say, hey, listen, um, we're, you're, the, you're the next guy out, but we think you can play, but don't worry. We're going to cover the cost of your education just like we would if you're, you're – you're not even going to notice that you're not a scholarship kid. And so those next ten guys that have been going other places, um, they're going to get most of those guys to come to BYU now. And that makes your prep teams better. So your practice and preparation is much, much better. Your, your first teams that are going to go and play in games are better prepared, so that's a big deal. But you're going to find three or four diamonds in the rough out of those ten guys. They're going to rise to the top and, and, and play well. And BYU's been fortunate. They've had some phenomenal walk-ons that have come and, and made it big. I think back to you know, Chad Lewis is a name that we all know that was a walk-on. Dennis Piddle was a walk-on for Pete's sakes. And, and that list goes on and on and on. Well, now you've got a chance to get a, a bigger group of those. You upgrade the talent on the, on the bottom end, which helps everybody and raises the level of the program. I, I think it's huge for, for multiple reasons. I, th- I think for a talent pool, for finding more talent, and you guys know as well as I do, three or four more good guys that you find make a huge difference. That, that's all it takes if you, to, to make the difference between being good and being really good and this game is three or four good guys that you can put out on the field. I think this will help BYU's talent pool, but it also helps them have a big-time field, just like you said, PK. It really does. So I'm curious as that message goes out, as someone who uh, goes back to the WAC days, let alone Mountain West and Independence, you've heard the debate rage on from BYU fans about where they want to land. 
What do you think of partnering up in the long one with the remaining eight? And uh, what do people around you think about that, if that's not the same as what you think? Well, I, I, if, the, if and you're talking about the remaining eight in the Big 12, and, yep. and uh, if, if you were certain that that Big 12, that the remaining eight were going to stay the remaining eight, and it was a long-term deal and everybody was committed and you weren't worried that Oklahoma State was going to run off someplace and, and, and broker a deal with, with someone else, with the uh, with the right teams alongside of you, I think it would be very attractive for BYU. And you know, I'm, I'm thinking off the top of my head, you take you take BYU and and then some of the top teams in the AAC have been ranked in recent years. You go Houston, Memphis, Cincinnati, Central Florida, that type of a mix where you take that group in, and maybe a Boise State. Boise State's always an interesting one because in football they're they're certainly competitive, but their overall sports programs don't really stack up with the teams in those leagues like BYU's would and uh, um, or Cincinnati's for that matter, Central Florida. And so from a football perspective, that would make sense. So you go Boise State, BYU, Memphis, Houston, Cincinnati, and UCF. And that's a, that's a good league, guys, right there. That's a very competitive league. You could make a case that that's as good or better than the, than the Pac-12 has been in recent years. So I, I would think BYU would be crazy not to jump at something like that. And I haven't – I've really talked to Tom and those guys about about those eventualities. I know Tom's been really busy talking to everyone. I, I and I've said this in the last couple of weeks to, to multiple folks. I don't know that the Pac-12 is out of the question anymore. Um, I, you know, I think I think the Pac-12, we, we everybody kind of put that behind them and said no. Just culturally, that's not a fit. Pac-12 doesn't want a school like BYU. But then then the SEC and Texas and Oklahoma come and do this. And you've got a new commissioner in the Pac-12, and I think he has to look at everything. Because if the Pac-12 doesn't do something through this, they're going to fall further behind than they already are. And so so now all of a sudden maybe you go, well, culturally it's not a great fit, but from an athletic perspective, we you know, we as a league need to do something here. And, and I think the BYU might be considered, or if you asked me a year ago, I would have said there's zero chance I'm not saying this. I'm saying it's a long shot now, but I don't think that that conversation is completely out the door. So one of those two conferences, if, if the Pac-12 is trying to strengthen itself and there's a chance to get in there, you should absolutely take it. If if you are secure in the idea that all the rest that remain in the Big 12 are there and it's a long-term deal and they're going to bring some other quality programs with you, I think you jump at that as well. Um, and if it's if it's not one of those options. And the only option is, well, maybe you ought to join a, uh, you know, go back into the Mountain West or go to go to the AAC. From a from a visibility and financial standpoint, that would still be a huge step backward, and I'm not sure that I that I love that idea. I, I think the other two, you know, with the Big Twelve leftovers and adding some, would probably be the the most um, beneficial to BYU at this point. I'd support it. Why would you say, Blaine, that the, you think that the Pac-12 is still a potential? Because it seemed like everybody thought that that was no way. Yeah, I, I think when because of the news that came out the last time when they chose not to expand, and, and all of this news behind the scenes came back that well, it's 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 culturally it's not a great fit. It's not a great fit because they only want schools that have the same type of academic programs with medical schools and those kinds kinds of things. Um, but that was before this huge disruption. And, and I, I think, I feel like the PAC 12, they fired Larry Scott. They've hired a new commissioner. 
I feel like even internally they understand that they've fallen behind in, in the last couple of years. And so when you've fallen behind and you're making dramatic changes, all of a sudden you rethink things and you go, okay, on the academic side, how important really is that for our athletic programs to have, have these other programs fit exactly academically and culturally with, with what we've got here? So I, I just think there, there has to be internal discussions there um, that, that may change it. Um, and, as, and as I said, PK, I don't, I, I don't think that's a, as likely as the as – the, what did you call him? Rema- remaining call him? eight. I didn't They're come up with that. Yeah. That, that. Did you come up with that? No, that your no. Deal? Other people oh, have okay. had that. I've read that. I haven't, I haven't heard that term, so I, I, I love that, though, the remaining eight. So the, right now they're the R8. That's the conference right now. <laughs> but, um, but, but, but joining the R8, I think, is a, is a much more likely scenario. But, but I do think that the Pac-12 has to have discussions. And if they're having discussions from a regional perspective and from an overall like BYU is the, without question, it's not even close, the best overall athletic program in the non-P5s. And better than most of, um, from the mid-level down, P5 programs in terms of overall athletics. And I heard David Shaw last week, they were talking about it. He says, yeah, I think we need to look at, I think we need to look at expansion. If we're looking at expansion, we need to look at overall sports programs across the board, not, not just football. Um, and, and what he was describing in his press conference seemed to describe you know, something where people would have to go, yeah, well, BYU is exactly what David Shaw is talking about. So, um, anyhow, I, I just think that it's not out of the question anymore. I still think that that would be a long shot, PK, but, but uh, things are changing. And with this Texas-Oklahoma thing has opened everybody's eyes. I mean, that was just kind of out of left field. And now everybody's going, whoa, now is this a big arms race? And, and is everybody going to scramble uh, to, to try to compete at this point? And I think the Pac-12 has got to at least take a look at some changes. I think it's even bigger than that, Blaine, but that's a conversation for another day. I think not only is the Pac-12 threatened, I think the Big 12, excuse me, the Big 10 has to be feeling a little threatened too. But we'll pick up yeah. on that another time. Yeah, we, we, I'll, I'll come in studio and let's do a whole show. <laughs> yeah, all right. Because, let's, because let, 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 let's talk super conferences. We could, we could definitely speculate. We'll come do that one day. All right. Thanks, Blaine. We appreciate it. Good to talk Great to you. talk to you guys. See ya. All right, Blaine Fowler joining us. Former BYU quarterback. Now you see him on BYU TV calling BYU football and basketball games. Two things, man. It's not out of the question. And without a doubt, the best overall non-P5 athletic program. Something to be said for that, if you believe it's true. Whether it's true or not, I don't think that's the best thing BYU has going for it. I think there's, I think there's another uh, the Cougarettes. I knew it. I knew another, you thought that. Nope. Uh, there's What's another wrong Trump with the Cougarettes? Card. There's another. Is that what I'm thinking of? There's another Trump it's card. So pure. There's another <laughs> Trump card. You know me. I'm thinking about money. And I'll tell you that cash cow that awaits of Trump BYU. <laughs> the cash card that awaits BYU just over the horizon. We'll get to that next. Stay with us. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson.
I had a discussion with my buddy once. What would be your least desired position to play in team sports? Punt returner might be <laughs> Where your job is to field a fly ball like you're playing center field and have <laughs> 11 maniac elite athletes who want to remove your head from your body. Arrive like a split second after the ball. It's like catching a fly ball on the freeway. Yes, sounds like a terrible job. If you can think about another tweet at us, a position that you'd least want to play in all of team sports. Or you could include individual sports if there's some danger in <laughs> I don't want to hold the target on the archery range. Yeah. I, don't, I don't want to catch the javelin. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. We just had Blaine Fowler on, BYU football basketball analyst on BYU TV. We talked a little football with him. Talked a little bit about build brands and that deal that'll pay walk-ons. And he's got a list of guys who... We're offered preferred walk-on status because BYU is tight on scholarships. Sometimes they get caught in a crunch with guys returning from missions or not leaving when they think they're going to, and somebody gets squeezed out and they end up being a pretty good player. Can you think of some of those players? Jake Murphy was one that came to mind. Thought he got caught in a scholarship squeeze and ended up at Utah. Uh, yeah, but then they benefited from that from Taysom Hill. So now can they get them coming and going because of this? And then it's also about the, uh, he liked your point about, hey, it sends a message out there, and, and he's, uh, he's ready for a partnership with the remaining eight if they're actually going to stay together and not peel off one or two at a time and go do their own thing. I don't know if there's any guarantee there, though. I think if you do that uh, grant of TV rights, then it keeps you together for that period of time. What does that mean? That, that's, a short, that's a short span of time. That's five years. No one's if you signed, only do it for five well, years. Well, no one signed in a 20-year TV deal. Well, the AAC signed through 36, but it was also widely seen as a mistake. So even though it right. has happened, I don't think it'll happen well, again. Klyavkov said shorter said, deals. Right to my face. Shorter that deal. was a mistake yeah. that the Pac-12 did. Well, right. clearly it was. Right. You they didn't did know it at the time or you wouldn't have done it, but it was a mistake. So that's not going to be there. You're not going to well, have you only that do long-term a five or six security. Year, if you only do a five or six-year grant of rights, then there is no long-term security. That's just not that doesn't that doesn't mean any definition of long term. I gave up on any conference loyalty when I was told that BYU is going independent, their sports are going in the whack, we've got it all set up. I was told that I go to the gym not more than an hour later and across the TV Nevada and uh, Fresno are leaving. Uh, I had just been told that everything was set and they were going to go do this. And then (laughs) an hour or two later, I'm like, what did I just see? I couldn't believe what I just saw. I'm Jack Buck here. (laughs) (laughs) I don't believe what I just saw. Yeah, And they had it all set up. And then Craig Thompson did his thing and it changed. So if you're looking for long-term security, you're not going to find it. It's like a Hollywood marriage. It's like marrying a Kardashian. No, no. I mean, sure, it's fun in the short term, and you get a lot of, you know, I mean. And after but... they sell the wedding pictures for $17 million, <laughs> you're a former jazz man, and you're alone. So, yeah, plus, I don't know that I would like to be, like, number 33 on the list. That's just me. Yeah. I don't think it's just you. <laughs> I don't think it's just you at all. We start dipping down below five, I get a little nervous. <laughs> you want to be in the top 25. You don't want to be among others receiving votes. Receiving what? Others receiving votes. 
he says, enunciating very carefully. <laughs> so uh, that's a risk that they're going to have to take. But I think that the actually for me, I think that the super conference that you guys were talking about right at the end with Blaine, I think, and Kyle thinks this too. He said it, and I've spoken to him about it. Super I conference think that, is coming. Yeah, we're going in that direction, and at that point. It's most especially underscored a high level of importance that BYU is on the inside, not on the outside. Because that that becomes a real defining point that we're not there yet. But when we get there, and I believe it's a win, not an if, they've got to figure out how to bay in. So if you believe that joining the R8 will help you get on the inside, even if there's some change within that, which inevitably there'll be some point somewhere, somewhere down the line. Who knows when? Short term, long term? I don't know. But it will happen. But if that helps you then to be included into this, whether it's a field of 64 or whatever they get to with the four 16s, you need to make sure you're in there. That's why I think that that could be a good deal to go with those eight. Because I don't scoff at this eight and act like these athletic programs are trash just because Oklahoma and Texas went in in a different direction. I don't think that at all. I think as long as they stick with the format, and I get everybody's mad at the SEC because everyone's like, wow, we really can't partner and trust these guys. Look what they just did to the Big 12. They sat in a room. with They and the Big 12 are supposed to be representing all of us to come up with a proposal here for a new playoff. And meanwhile, they were sticking it to the Big 12 with Oklahoma and Texas. Holy cow! So I just think there's personal relationships there, and there's feelings, and you can say it's business. And it is. But there's still yeah. emotion, so I don't put think the brakes the SEC on it. was sticking it to anybody. I think Oklahoma, Texas were sticking it. Oh, certainly an argument to be made for that. Certainly. But I don't completely understand this putting the brakes on everything with the 12-team playoff. Because while it's true the 12-team playoff benefits the SEC, you can also see it benefiting other leagues. That six leagues are going to be guaranteed a team in the playoff seems like a positive for a lot of leagues. Maybe oh, yeah, that yeah, doesn't yeah. impact... The well, SEC, the Big going, Ten, and the ACC, because they're already in. But for the next three leagues, whoever they are, however you order them, they've been left out. So I think that they've got to double back to this. Now, maybe they put a cap oh, I think on... they will. May, I don't think there's any question. Maybe they put a cap on how many teams get in and at large berths. But I still think, separate from that discussion... I don't even know that we're stopping at 16, and I know Kyle's thrown that out there for a long time, but to your point, the SEC wasn't double-dealing and giving anybody the shaft. They were just doing what was best for the SEC. Well, is it best for the SEC to go to 20? If they think they can pull Ohio State and Michigan away, if they think they can pull Clemson and Notre Dame or Florida State away, are they going to do it? I don't know. I don't know that they need to do it. but I, They didn't need to get Oklahoma and Texas. But they did it. Well, I don't, but that, but that's geographically, it's much easier and all that stuff. You already had A and M in your conference, and you got Missouri, which is above Oklahoma, and blah mm-hmm. blah blah. Yeah, so, I get it. They're adjacent states. They're yeah. there, so. Yeah, I, I can't say yes or no on that. I don't have any idea as far as who goes uh, um, to that level. But it's just important for BYU to be on the inside. So you were so what, as they go your, to so as they financially so streaming. Streaming is coming, and it's coming quickly. And the NFL signed an 11-year deal, and I think everybody thinks that's the last broadcast over-the-air deal that's going to look like everything we've grown up with, whether you're 
20, 30, 40, or 50. It's what you've grown up with. And it's going to change. And when streaming comes, BYU is worth more money. The Cougars, everybody has fans spread out to some degree. All these big state universities have alumni chapters in different places, and the bigger, older schools have bigger chapters. But BYU is going to be much more valuable in the streaming world. BYU has got fans. We see it wherever they go. They get 5,000 fans unless they get 10 or 15. And how many of those people are going to be willing to pay 5 or 10 or 20 bucks or whatever it is to get whatever streaming service has the right to BYU games? Yeah, it depends on what games, though, because BYU, I agree with you on that. There's no question. I've lived it for 20-some years since I've been in right. this community. You've and I've seen, seen it firsthand. How many, how many fans over. do you see when you go to Hawaii? Yeah. Five, yeah. ten, thousand? Yeah, they're, they're just all over the place. Right. There's no doubt about it. And whether you think, well, they're not diehards, who cares? Their cash yeah. is cash. Okay, so and I think that out. is a question, though. Are they diehard enough to pay whatever the fee is yeah. to get the streaming service? Because so like, once you're in a conference, you're going to have a deal. It whether depends it's on with, the games, the quality of the games. If it's Idaho State, no. So, like, I saw Notre Dame is going to have the Toledo game on, right? Right. It's Toledo. Nothing against Toledo. Right. But why would I pay extra Because for where Toledo? this is going is that at least four of the six Notre Dame home games are going to be streamed. So it's going to be good games. If it You're goes right. that way, it I'm is. on board with you. It, it, yes, I would pay. It's going that way. The I question paid is, for BYU-UMass. The question is how quickly, and that's why the new commissioner tells you, don't sign a 12-year deal, it's a mistake. Because it's changing, and nobody knows exactly how quickly. And if you're the big dog, you can dictate. And the NFL can dictate. They're the only ones who can be out there signing an 11-year deal. Well, and I, but is that enough for the negatives out there, fair or unfair negatives, to get BYU on the inside? See, that's what I wonder. You know, because I believe they were on the precipice of going to the Big 12 and that uh, the, the lesbian, gay... Uh, LGB, I'm not going to get LGBTQ it issue. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I didn't want to screw that up. I'm not trying to be wise or anything. Uh, but I believe that was a significant issue. And, and, and I believe BYU thought they had an excellent chance that they were going to go, what was that, 2015, 2016, somewhere in there, and that thing. And so, you know, they're trying to overcome it. It's a balancing act. So you can debate that all you want, whatever you think on that. And if you're, I'm not going to change anybody's point of view, so I'm not going to even bother debating it. You think what you want to think, and that's the way people are. But they've got to get past these image things that are thwarting them, I think. The Sunday play, that's a problem. It's an issue. I've been told that by people who work in athletic administration and are like, you and I think they can work around it. But, but other people in other time zones don't think that, right. and they're calling the shots. Right. But see, I really wonder going forward how much of the shots the Pac-12 is going to get to call. They have fallen behind. They know they've fallen behind. They fired their commissioner for a specific set of reasons. Okay, wasn't but doing it's not job like they well. can't easily catch up. I would like to think they could, and that's probably my bias of having grown up on the West Coast and watched these. I mean, when the games were regionalized back in the day, that's just what I saw. But are they getting outflanked by money? To me, the thing that makes the most sense is for the Pac-12 
and the Big Ten to form a partnership? Because I think a big part of the Big Ten feels threatened, like, uh uh-oh, we're not carrying the freight the way Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State are. If Oklahoma and Texas can lead that league, could some of these big dogs leave our league? Now, they got the whole academic tie, and I think that means a lot more to the academic people than it means to you and I. So maybe they got ties that will bind them together. I don't think Ohio State needs to leave. I agree with that. But I don't think Oklahoma and Texas need it. Well, I take that back. Maybe they did need to leave the way recruiting was going to Texas. I think yeah. that might have scared them. I think it's a different story. That might have scared them. A different story. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that might be the difference, one of the differences that keeps them together. But I could see if you're going to do something joint and big and form a super conference without a super conference and do something really different with a two-leagues partner, if, if the Big Ten, who's generating more money, tells the Pac-12, we'll do this, but you're going to have to add, add a couple teams, what's the Pac-12 going to say? And basically, nobody wants to say this, but every once in a while, someone blurts it out. And when BYU tried to partner with the Big East, there was a Big East lawyer talking to some BYU lawyer. Who do these guys think they are? Like, do people want to partner with someone who thinks they're the 800-pound gorilla in the room. Man, we heard that about Texas in the Big 12 forever. I think BYU's so, gotten past that. So there's that, because we're getting to a whole new generation of people. Time moves on, and people retire, and different people get promoted. And so that can be a factor. But also, if the Big Ten says, you need to add these two, and they're hard to work with. That's not our problem. Add them. I don't know that the Pac-12, if they're dealing with the Big Ten, would be due. That's you think they're going to BYU to the Pac-12? Is that if, what you're going if, with this? If, oh, if man, how else breaking news. How else would they get in? Because I think what you say about, well— LGBTQ issues, Blaine phrased it as uh, cultural issues, you know, a, a red state, a red school, a bunch of blue states, conservatives, liberals, all that. I think that stuff's real. <laughs> I think that stuff is real. And it matters. It's only one thing that matters. A lot of stuff matters, but it matters. Uh, don't dismiss it. It matters. But other things matter, too. And I think the Pac-12, as everything changes, is in a much stronger position if they're partnering with the Big Ten. I'm just not ruling out the SEC going after everybody. I'm not, I'm not ruling out. And they may stay at 16, and that may be it. But I am not ruling it out. I don't think they want to be the biggest conference. Sometimes I think they want to be the only conference. The only one, huh? They want to bury everybody. It just matters more. The Undertaker. <laughs> right? And if that's the way it's going, then a couple other leagues may need to band together. It may be the only way to do it. Think different. Think outside the box. So there's a lot of big pieces moving on the board, and the Utes and the Cougars don't control them all. I'm not convinced the Pac-12 controls a big chunk of them. They control some of them. I think the USC's and the Oregon's of the world, they control some. I think Stanford might, too. I think Stanford's got a good brand, and they're an important TV market. In a weird way, they don't deliver it, but in a weird way, they're still there. Notre Dame likes to go play there for a reason. And it isn't the crowds of 70,000 because they couldn't fill that stadium and they built a smaller one. But Notre Dame still likes going there. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280, the zone. Kind of ties together. Stanford's like the, uh, like the cornfield in Iowa, the field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. It's all that's good in baseball. It's all that's good. These high-end academic kids and high-end athletes too. Stanford's got its own draw. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. David Locke, radio voice of the jazz, coming up at 9 o'clock. Stay with us.
The Top 60 and 60 is back on the Zone Sports Network. Get your college football fix every day at 1.30 as the Zone counts you down to the start of the 2021 season by listing off the top 60 players in the state of Utah as voted on by the local media. You'll also hear from the coaches as they talk about the players that will impact their season the most. It's the Top 60 and 60, weekdays at 1.30, presented by Cypress Credit Union and ICON. On your home of the best college football coverage in Utah. 975-1280 the zone and the zone sports network. Listen every day at 130, Hans and Scotty are counting down the top 60 players in the state of Utah as we count you down to the start of the college football season. It's the top 60 and 60, presented by Cypress Credit Union and Icon Health and Fitness here on the Zone Sports Network. 20 days to college football, PK. 15 to the week zero games if UCLA and Hawaii does anything for you. It do. Is UCLA going to be any good this year? Yeah. UCLA sounds like they should be good, but they've only been good intermittently. Are they going to be competitive? They're going to take somebody down. What's your definition of good? I think they're going to be competitive. Eight wins. I I can't guarantee a number of wins, but what I can expect is that they're going to play you competitively and it's going to be hard to beat them, not like it has been where it's been just a easy wake up and you know you're going to win that day type of game. I don't think it's going to be that at all. No more walkovers, huh? Was it the last time we were down in Pasadena? And it was just the last three or four times I've gone down there for work to cover the games, it's just they've been smokages. Just hammer them. Just blow them off the field. This is completely non-competitive. I don't expect that at all. 41 to 10. And well, then, you were down there for 52-45. That wasn't a blot. That was Joe Williams going off for 330 yards. I mean, remarkably easy for the Utes to run yeah. the ball, but it was still a one-touchdown game. Uh, it was a little misleading, though, if a I little, remember. It didn't feel like they were going to lose, although UCLA did get the ball late with a chance to tie. But the two games up here have been awful. I mean, the, to your point, the last three games... Uh, the average score is basically 45 to 10 or something so like that. the last time I was down there, yeah. it was an absolute just annihilation. Yeah. Yep. Would that, would that have been in 2019? Uh, 2018? 2019 was up here. It was 49 to 3. Your last trip to Pasadena was 41 to 10. And then in 2017, the Utes won 48 Well, I can remember it was, it was uh, the extra inning World Series game. Because I was concerned about where I was staying. I got a drive-by Dodger Stadium coming off of the freeway there. And that game, uh, actually, it ended as I pulled into the parking lot of the hotel. Just made it. Yeah. (laughs) And I had it on the radio. Before the Dodger Stadium parking lot emptied out and jammed everything up. Right. Yeah. So they just destroyed it. Was that? A, it was a. It might even have been a Friday night game, if I remember. I, I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. They actually had a shot during the game uh, from one stadium to the other. Yeah. Okay. You can see the lights, and they had like a blimp up or whatever, and they shot, and there's the lights, yeah. and look what's going on but, over there. But they actually just just slaughtered them. So I don't think we're at that level. I can't say how many wins they're going to have, but I expect them to be far more competitive. It's a slow rebuild. But I think there has been, even if it's just uh, incrementally smaller steps than I'm sure all Bruin fans want, I think it is there. Well, you always say in the Pac-12, 
If you can win, and this actually goes back to your Pac-10 days, if you can beat an opponent seven times in ten years, you'd take it. And right now the Utes are 6-3 and three against UCLA. So they're about to hit that if they win this year. They'll certainly be favored. Yes, I've always believed if you can win, now maybe if you're SC or Oregon, it's a different story, but for the rest of us, if you, at any 10-year period, if you've beaten a given team seven times, I think you take that in this conference. Uh, so, yes, they've clearly had the upper hand. Um, and we're at that point now uh, where it's starting to get the 10-year mark with last year being they're not playing everybody. Right. So... Uh, and they didn't play UCLA last year. Right, That's obviously. one that got missed. Yeah. Uh, so uh, they didn't play Arizona, UC Los Angeles, ASU, right? They played SC and Colorado uh, were the two of the teams from the South that they played, right? And then they also played Washington State and uh, Washington and somebody else. I can't even remember who it was. So I would I would assume they're they're approaching that with Arizona too, because it seemed like they've had the upper hand on those guys. They got him a few years ago. The Cats got him a few years ago in overtime, if I remember correctly. It was the night that Ronda Rousey lost her fight. Because I can remember somebody asking me, hey, did you see Ronda lost as we're walking off the field? <laughs> no. <laughs> paying attention to not, that not right really, now. Not really in my wheelhouse. <laughs> I'm down here working at this game. This is a big deal. <laughs> this is what I'm focused on. I remember somebody asked me about that. It is hard to remember the five teams they played that last year. It was such a weird... USC and Colorado in the South. Did they get Oregon State? And they did. They beat Oregon State yeah. at home, yeah. and they played the Washington schools. Right. I knew so. it was Oregon. I thought it was Oregon State, yeah. All right, DJ and PK, David Locke coming up. We haven't talked to him in a couple weeks. A lot of, uh, a lot of player movement, draft picks, free agency, trades. We'll get his assessment of the NBA, where it stands in the offseason, and we will do that next. Time to talk a little jazz basketball and look ahead to the 2022 season. After a busy offseason, David Locke joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. David Locke, his weekly interview brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team. David, good morning. Good morning, David. Good morning, Patrick. Hi. Beautiful blue sky. I can see the mountains again. No smoke. How's everybody? Uh, we're good, but we're wondering how the new partnership uh, with BYU is going to impact your partnership with Built Bar. Any forecast for that? Um, I think we've been good to Built Bar. Built Bar's been good to us. That usually keeps partnerships together. And there it is. They're just, no, gonna... just like my marriage. <laughs> <laughs> Followed by an uncomfortable silence. All right. <laughs> we've been good for each other. What's wrong with that? I hope for the best for you two, too. David, you have been on vacation, so we have not spoken to you about the many moves in the NBA. What move of all of these struck you as a championship move? Who did something you thought, well, they just helped themselves big time? Uh, that's interesting. I don't know if there was one other than people keeping themselves in contention, right? So um, Chris Paul... Um, though that's a big deal. Like I think in the long run, that's probably good for everybody in the Western Conference. Phoenix is going to be hamstrung by that deal by the end of it. But they're they're a title contender again this year, right? Like um, I do, you know, I like the little tiny things they did around the edges. Um, I think they were going to be they're going to be really really good. So that to me made them 
you know, continued to have them be a title contender. Um, Kawhi resigning for four, four years will probably mean that Paul George resigns eventually, and so the Clippers will, will for the next you know four years probably still be back up on top of of the Western Conference. Um, the Warriors, I think, did some nice things, and in, in that clearly people want to be in Golden State and sign there. I think Otto Porter for the minimum seems like a pretty good deal, though he was pretty bad in his last stint and the knee problems and he he's not in the physical condition he used to be so um you know the question of whether or not you know he actually ever can get back he's he's almost on a jabari barker parker trajectory at this point um so no, i don't think there were a lot like i thought philadelphia i can't remember what they were but i thought okay re-signing danny green for 10 million and a few of their around the edges moves were really good but nothing significant i don't think russell westbrook Change the Lakers. In fact, I don't know that I think it makes them better. So um, I am not. You know, <clears throat> I'm. I don't think anyone. I don't think there's a great change. Like if you look at the betting lines, there's not some team that like suddenly is up there that didn't used to be. It's it's right back with the Lakers, the Nets, and the Bucks as the three teams. The Bucks added did something interesting. The Nets did some interesting things too. They like just minor subtle things. But Mills. I they were, huh? Mills. Yeah, he's pretty old now. Um, so I'm not, you know, uh, uh, they didn't have much of a backup point guard to Kyrie Irving. I think Teruzo, who just signed with someone today, maybe the Warriors, um, you know, is a nice player, and I guess Mills is probably better. But I think Patty's, you know, pretty deep on the dark backside. But, yeah, I mean, it's, hey, it's a veteran who knows how to play those guys. You know, Rudy Gay, same thing. Look, I'm not going to tell you Rudy Gay, I think, makes the Jazz a championship team. He's just 30, he's turned 35 in five, four days, or 36. Like, you just, but they just know how to play. They've been there. They've had all these experiences. They're certainly important. How about Whiteside? Pretty interested in this one. I mean, my natural instinct is that this is, you know, over the years has been a player who, like, for me, partially because he had a rivalry with Rudy, right? And, you know, tried to claim he's on Rudy's level and was like, come on, like, what are you doing? Um, but you look at him in Portland, which is a team that plays almost, you know, they're not the same. And if I was around our coaching staff and said played identically basketball, they're the coaches of both sides, Terry Stotts, Quinn Snyder's staff so over the last few years would like come after me and be like, what the hell are you talking about? But kind of fundamentally, there's a lot of similarities. You know, you've got two scoring guards and you've got drop bigs, right? And, Sean Whiteside in Portland two years ago was just flat out good. Like he just he he helped them. Um, there's been question marks about his kind of off off court stability, I guess you call it. Ever since he did a few high schools and a few colleges, and then came to Sacramento and to open his NBA career, if I remember correctly, and, and yes. then lasted like 14 games, and then disappeared for like two years. And that label's been on him the whole time. You know, rightfully or wrongfully, I, I don't know. But talking to people in Portland, it was wrongfully. Their comments were that his teammates liked him, um, and that every, you know everyone enjoyed having him. Um, you know, watching him over the years, I haven't thought he's always been you know focused and plugged in as much as he needed to be every night. But we'll see. And frankly, the Jazz have a lot of options if he's not. But I do think it's pretty interesting, right? Like he's seven one, he's seven seven standing reach. Like you've you're not going to get to the rim 48 minutes of seven, seven or longer standing reach. Like you're just not going to get to the rim against us. And that's a huge analytical advantage on the defensive end. We're pl- we play a style that is, 
I think should match to him perfectly if he can do it. You know, we we move our bigs on the pick and roll, but we don't trap, we don't double team. We we really play the simplest defensive style in the world, which is, you know, basically drive your guy to Rudy and let him protect the rim and force him into two, you know, mid-range twos. Um, again, oversimplifying. And and then on the offensive end, like he's like when you look at his pick and roll numbers over the years, like with guards that are similar to Donovan or Mike Conley or Joe Ingles, it's pretty good. Um, 1.1 points per pick and roll, which is really good. And he's, you know, out there with some of the, you know, with Dame and those guys, and he was good with Wade. And and then, then the final one I have is just, and this is just, he put, spent five years in Miami. Like, and I get by the end of Miami, people there were really frustrated with him because Bam out of Bayou was really good. So it wasn't like they wanted more Bam and less Hassan Whiteside. But on the other end, like, if you're a total knucklehead, you're not spending five years in Pat Riley's system. So I'm pretty intrigued by it, and I think it's going to be an upgrade. Derek last year, just I, I just think it was glaring every time he came in the game how much people just went and attacked the rim. And it's just because he's 6'9", compared to 7'2". Well, we don't have that anymore. I also think the other thing with Favors is, you know, wearing the heat pack on the side and having the back issues. You know, he even though he wasn't as big, he was athletic enough when he was younger and healthier, so compensated for that. But when he tells you after a game, I just couldn't get loose and move. And then the next night he does, he says, I just feel differently. I just think that's, you know, that's an indicator of where that's trending. And obviously he was way more expensive than Whiteside. So I think getting to Whiteside, the question is, he was 30 years old. He was in Portland. He was playing with uh, a superstar player, another star player on a good team, and he was engaged. He went to Sacramento, and he probably looked around at some point and thought, what are we doing, and became disengaged, at which point the coaches are like, what are we doing with this 31-year-old guy who just isn't, isn't all in? So I can see how that could break down that way. Or, hey, he's 31, and he's starting to lose a step, and if you're a big guy who doesn't move well, you're going to get exposed, and it's going to be hard for coaches to play you. And yeah, I think, so there's a bunch which of Which of those stories is true? Right. I mean, I think on all three, on Favors and Whiteside, what you just said, DJ, I'm going to go all over the map. There were quotes from the players that told us this. So, like, the first thing on Derek was, it just always was bizarre to me, that opening press conference he had, where he was just like, yeah, I'm fine, like, I'll come play 15 minutes a night. I was like, whoa, why? Like, it just was weird to me. Like, you just mm-hmm. don't hear. I love Derek, and maybe he was love for Utah. Maybe New Orleans was so bad. Maybe it was personal, right? There's, got, there's a reason. I'm not criticizing the choice, and from our standpoint, it was great. We got favors and basically traded Derek favors for a first-round draft pick in the long run, which is a great trade. But it was just an interesting moment to me in his opening press conference where he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to come here and just, you know, I'll play 15, 20 minutes a night. And like, even when he said it, I was like, you know, I'm learning 15, 20 to be played. It was just a bizarre thing. It was like, just like, it didn't seem like basketball had a lot to do why Derek came back. Just, I don't know what was going on in his life or how bad New Orleans was or whatever, but it just didn't line up. The second one was Derek's comment in the playoffs when he was so good. And I interviewed him and I asked him like, you know, he's like, well, it's just the playoffs. And I was like, well, then what were you doing in the regular season? Like your body just, so both these things just led me to believe that Derek's body is just fighting him so badly at this point in his career that like, he's just going to ramp it up for like that moment. He has to, well, that's hard. Um, so I think so. White said an interesting comment in his press conference about where he said, I'm excited to like the game again. So last year clearly sucked. Um, it's not great to have a player like disengage with the game, like when that's your profession, but it was interesting that he said that, like that tells me that I, that's why I'm kind of stemming back to his Portland and Miami years and just kind of wiping Sacramento off the table. Um, and I don't have 
endless respect for everything that's going on in Sacramento. So that's pretty easy for me to do. Um, and so therefore that's where I'm pretty optimistic on what I think Whiteside can probably do um, for the jazz. And also just think the, like the, your point, the minimum contract is like, that's a pretty like 200 and what 58 starts in his career or something for a minimum contract. That's pretty great. So I'm looking at a story written by Dan Fellman, and he's got the Jazz in facing a nearly $39 million luxury tax liability uh, as it stands now with their roster set, and obviously they didn't trade those guys from Bogdanovich making 18 and a half down to Royce, uh, I think about just under nine, and Joe's in the 13, 14 range. You think that they're prepared to go ahead and do this and, and pay this bill as we head on into the season? I mean, I think that bills. Do you understand how you pay luxury tax too? Do you guys all know this? Explain it. One check, one day. Got to have a little liquidity. You got to have a little bonus cash sitting over there. Million dollars of liquidity on a day. To be clear, a lot of these people who are very wealthy who own teams, their money isn't in cash; it's in assets. It's a, it's a mix well, around the league. Some people have right, but no liquidity. Have, some have some, and some have a lot. Let's say you have unbelievable liquidity. Let's say you have a hundred million of liquidity, which would be a crazy number, right? You yeah. just gave away forty percent of it, and that's at the end of the season, right? I think it's July one. Yeah, usually on the on the calendar. And that's a crazy number. Yeah. The other thing is the number your luxury tax number does not hold until the end of the season. So yeah, that's what I'm saying. So here's here's what really matters. What's our record January first? Right. Like, let's be really honest about it. We're twenty five and twenty five, or January first we would be fifteen and fifteen. And Ryan Smith is staring a forty million dollar check, and we're a five hundred team. Time to make moves. We're twenty five and five. Then he's making a forty million dollar. Luxury tax payment for the champ with a run for a run of championship. It's incredible. It's insane. It's like I'm not one who thinks of the luxury tax as some piece of bravado. And in fact, is as a jazz fan, it was super interesting to me to watch some of the reaction by jazz fans on kind of the self like this inward bubble rather than looking outward, when like the Jazz made the favors deal, which was clearly a luxury tax deal, and even kind of traded the first-round pick, which was clearly luxury tax, like makes sense to do that when you're in the tax. The tax is the best thing that's ever happened to the Utah Jazz. Because? So the fact that we're victimized by it, fine. Go to the rules. But it's the only reason we have a chance. is because the luxury tax forces the Lakers to sign a bunch of million-dollar players instead of $7 million players. And forces the Nets to do the same thing in Brooklyn and Milwaukee. Now, like, it, it's the le- the league put in this collective bargaining agreement system. I think this is the single most untalked about story in the league. The league put in this collective bargaining agreement, whatever it was now, eight, eight nine years ago. There was a weird TV bubble bump in the middle that allowed for Kevin Durant to sign with the Warriors. We've had four different champions in four years. I think we have what eleven legitimate title contenders next year when the year starts. This isn't the NBA I grew up with, right? And. If Kevin Durant had stayed in Oklahoma City, I think we'd probably have had seven champions in the last eight years since collective bargaining agreement started. So if Ryan Smith has to dump a contract here because $40 million in a single payment on July 1st is outrageously prohibitive for the richest people in the world, that's the system that's allowing the Jazz to be in competition to win. 
And so while, yes, it's painful to us, but, and people somehow turn this like a lack of commitment, it's not a br- moment of bravado to throw away your money in a ridiculous manner. It's a system that's allowed for mass competition across the board, and we are the biggest winners of it of all. So the fact that it costs us saves, like, that's too bad, but that's the system. And frankly, when the Jazz were making all their moves for the last two years, you were watching it if you were paying attention to the salary cap. Okay, this is, this is somewhat crazy. Like, you can't have favors, O'Neal, Ingles, Bogdanovich, Clarkson. You can't do it all. It just doesn't work that way anymore, which is the beauty of the system because it keeps us with a chance to stay in it. I mean, the Bucks had to give – the Bucks two years ago gave, let Malcolm Brogdon go, who was like their second-best player because the tax was going to be too crazy. So this comes to the point that you've always have to be drafting well and developing players. You don't have to find them in the draft if you find Royce O'Neal and Joe Ingles overseas, so be it. But you have to have inexpensive players in your rotation. Uh, And I suppose for a while you can bring them in as veterans as long as you've got a really good team. But are there any young guys who are about to break into the rotation? Or can I look at the roster right now and assume that I can anticipate 95% of Quinn Snyder's decisions? So I'm not sure I agree with your premise there. Because the truth is, if you're good, your draft picks aren't very good. And so you do have to find Royce O'Neal and Joe Ingles, who over time develop. But if, like in the playoffs last year, what first-round draft pick in the last – I don't know, I'm actually doing this off the top of my head – was there a first-round draft pick in the last two or three years that contributed for any of the final four, final eight teams? Uh, to your point, even if I can't think of one now, there aren't very many. So the odds are against you. Bridges and Aiton. Okay, yeah, so Bridges is three years out. He contributed. That's a great pick. Aiton's three, three or four, three yeah, years out. Luca, obviously. Right, Trey Young, obviously. But that's like you're drafting one through three, right? Bridges is a great pick. Philadelphia just, or Phoenix just nailed that. Um, and then Clippers had Terrence Mann was a second round pick. We had nobody. Denver has Michael Porter Jr. That's a great pick. Yeah. Uh, Brooklyn had Bruce Brown, maybe if he's still in his third year, second round pick for Detroit on Miami. I'm probably forgetting someone when doing this off the top of my head. But so at this point, they don't have to right. develop. But at this point, they don't have to develop young guys. You think as long as you can get veterans who can play at the minimum, it serves the same purpose. Right. I actually think that's frank. You know, they're not that much. The young guys aren't that much cheaper than the veteran minimum right. players, and they're not that much better when you're drafting at twenty and thirty and things like that. Like, um, you know, you have the outliers, right? Um, frankly, Donovan's just in his fourth year, so he's you know he's close to counting in this conversation. Um, and there was somebody, Philadelphia has Fiebel, who's contributing. Um, frankly, though, Philadelphia's youth, I think, is what their problem still is. Like, I think they're caught. Their way their roster's built a little bit right now is with two very young stars. They don't, I didn't think they had enough Danny Greens around them. Like, that's, they would probably solve some of their problems if they had a few more vets floating around the team. So when you look at the situation with the guy, teams getting better in offseason moves and it's debatable, uh, how much uh, in terms of getting guys back from injury, and I'm looking at specifically Denver and the Warriors as far as them being able to move up? So I I can't 
hell on these? Like, do we think Jamal Murray and Kawhi Leonard are going to play? Like, ACL's kind of become like an 18, 12- to 18-month deal in the NBA now, right? Yeah, I have low expectations for Murray because his was a complete tear. I don't know when they say a partial tear of Kawhi. I don't know what that means. It may not mean anything. It may mean it may be physically just as devastating as a complete tear. I don't know that. So it's hard for me to guess on Kawhi. The thing is, Kawhi has taken so long with injuries, maybe because he's been nursing a partial tear for a long time. I wouldn't rule that out. I don't know that, sure. but I wouldn't rule it out. Um, but I, I always expect him to sit quite a bit. So, you know, are they going to be back at the 50-game mark next year? Well, they might be at the 50-game mark just with that roster by itself. I mean, there's a lot of teams that are going to win 50 games in the West next year, and that's a lot of games. But Phoenix, L.A., Utah, L.A., Denver, Dallas. How about the Warriors? Warriors. Though? Okay. Seven, seven teams should win 50 next year. Maybe nobody wins 55. And, you know, it, it doesn't feel like there's anybody in the West right now other than Houston and Oklahoma. Oh, like Houston and Oklahoma City feel like they're about to win 14 games. And that will, you know, you're, you know, it's interesting is when you start breaking down the schedule, like I think going 4-0, and like – the little things are going to matter here when the schedule comes out in a week or two is like, who are you only playing three times? Like, if you get unlucky and only play, if we get Oklahoma, we're guaranteed to get Oklahoma City four times. If we get Houston only three times, like, oh. And frankly, like, for all of the, like, Portland with, let's not forget that Portland with Dame Lillard, C.J. McCollum, Norman Powell, and Yusuf Nurkic um, were the best offensive team in the NBA. They were the number one offense in all the NBA. Like, I think they're a 50-win team, too. There's eight... 50 win playoff teams in the Western Conference, and I think they could be divided between 50 and 55. There's no way they'll be eight 50 win teams. Uh, of course not. But I like, get your point. There's the potential there. What I was saying though was more 50 games into the season, a little mm-hmm. past halfway. Are they going to be back playing every game? I don't think Murray will be. Maybe Kawhi can, but I don't know that he yeah, will. I, and so then, and then, so I love, everyone loves Clay Thompson and everyone loves, and the Clay Thompson narrative is fabulous. And he sat on a kayak in the ocean and it's really cool. And he's just the coolest dude alive. And he's like one of the league's favorite players of all the players. And he's just awesome. And so everyone's rooting for him, but has anyone like stopped and thought about what he's doing? Like he hasn't played in what, two and a half seasons now? off an ACL and Achilles tendon on the same leg? Yeah. Do we really, do we really think, are we, have we reached a, me- I mean, Kevin Durant just, you know, medical miracle last year. Um, have we really reached a medical point where you can do that? Because if you can, that's amazing. But last month when I was down in California for Pac-12 Media Day, I saw on the Strand in Manhattan, Clay Thompson riding a bike and he looked good. Well, that's, you know, I saw him kayaking in the ocean. He looked awesome. <laughs> I can't one-up you guys. I haven't seen him except on TV and clips. I mean, I think, um, so, and then, you know, kind of to our point, like, we're all going to fall in love with the Warriors because they have Wiseman and Kamunga and Moody. And so they've done, it's interesting what they've done is they've taken these three young picks and their draft picks and they may have built themselves so they're going to be good for a while. I don't think those three guys are going to help them win a game right now. Kevin Pelton always talks about like this, and it's such a great thing. Kevin Pelton says the number one statistical mistake that he sees are when a player's injury going into the draft and a team lets him slide because he's not going to play the first year. 
And his point is like there's 2% of players in the draft that end up ever giving you a positive wins above a placement level player in the first year of the NBA. And one's Magic they, Johnson. None of them contribute to wins in their first year. They're all awful. The league's too hard. So having Blake Griffin or Michael Porter Jr. or even Nick Collison sit out for a year before they play actually shows an increase in their trend for wins above replacement level than a player actually played their first year and got overwhelmed. Like, let them watch, let them weight train, let them work. Like, there's a whole concept of redshirting in the NBA that's never been talked about that actually statistically makes total sense. So while we all are going to love Kaminga and Mood, and we're going to talk about them matching how they look around, you know, Clay and Steph and Draymond, I'm not sure that that actually vibes at all. Like, I think I might put them as the eighth of the eight, even with this greatest Steph is. Because I just can't really believe that Clay is going to be okay, and I just don't really believe those young kids are going to help them in, in this next season. Their championship rosters were underrated. Is Draymond Green as good as he was then? So have they no. taken a hit there? And Iguodala and guys like Livingston off the bench. I mean, it's not... There's no celebrity power there, but they're good basketball players, and they just don't have that many good basketball players right. now. Right. And, and they were doing some things that the rest of the league wasn't doing, and the league's caught up. The one I think is fascinating, and obviously it's going to be the must-watch team of the year, is the Lakers. Because I'm looking at them on paper, and my analysis of them on paper is they have to be the best defensive team in the league so that they can get misses, so they can run, and then when they run, you're dead. Because, right, you got Westbrook, LeBron, AD, and transition, it's over. But the pieces they put around the fringes are all old, right? Yeah. So... Now you're saying, okay, well, I need a 33 and older team to run every possession, which to me seems hard. Second thing is there's, as much as we all love transition and playing early and all these things and the analytics show it's better, there's actually just a limit to it, right? Like you just, just only so many position, possessions that you actually get to run on. They're off misses and turnovers and some things like that. But it's like if you look at the amount of possessions in the NBA that are in transition over the last 20 years, there's just there's a peak. Like you, you don't get over like 20% of your possessions in transition. So like for the other 80 possessions, what are they doing in the half court? And how are they going to score? I just don't see it. And then the other one is like they are going to be somewhat unbelievable in the sense that like Westbrook's, their team is, is Dwight Howard at center, Seven one, Anthony Davis seven at their two, LeBron James as their three at six nine, Russell Westbrook massive as their point guard, and I guess Taylor Horton Tucker or someone of that sort as their shooting guard is pretty big. So I mean they're mammoth. Like trying to score them in the half court out of size is is going to be brutal. But like the minute they play Carmelo and the minute they play Russ, like these are bad defensive players one on one unless they're engaged, and I just can't imagine that they're going to be that engaged. So. I don't, I don't quite, they'll make the playoffs and then they'll, I don't know. I just don't see it actually. I don't even think they'll be that much of a beast in the playoffs because then your possessions and transition are down to 15%. So I, you know, I've, I've eaten a lot of crow over the Lakers over the year because I think I will them to be bad and I'm going to do it again. <laughs> Stay consistent. Well, I mean, like it's interesting, their championship year, which I'm not asterisking at all in the bubble. I think it's totally incredible. But, like, they had a glaring weakness that year. They were 22nd in the league in half-court offense. And so, like, I kept waiting in the playoffs for them to play a good team defensively. And if you go look at their run, I don't think they played an above-average defensive team in their playoff run until they got to Miami. And then Miami and everybody hurt. So, like, they win the title. They deserve it. I'm not saying that. They just 
they didn't ever saw have to deal with the issue that that they had that I thought was their weakness. Like this is the NBA now. Sorry, now you got me on. A, sorry, Jake, your breaks are screwed here. <laughs> this is the NBA now. To to wrap up our whole conversation, they're ten or eleven title contenders. Everyone's got like a 12, 13. The best of those 10 or 11 teams have like an 18%, 20% chance to win the title, and the least of those have like a 10%. And it depends your route. Two years ago, the Los Angeles Lakers won the title because they didn't play a top 10 defensive team in the route. Had they, I think they lose. This year, the Lakers, while injured, also played a top five defensive team and looked terrible. The Phoenix Suns make it this year because they played a route that got them there. We lost this year because we ended up running into the team that could do the thing that is our bugaboo. Our bugaboo is if you can, if Rudy's off the floor, we're terrible defensively. And if while Rudy's on the floor, you can negate him, we're terrible defensively. Like, but there's only one team in the West that could have done that to us. The Milwaukee Bucks, who've had a 15% chance to win the title, maybe even higher with the best record in the Eastern Conference for two of the last three years, ran into a Miami team that before Giannis had fully developed and they'd made some changes on their roster and Chris Middleton had make, taken the next step when they switched one through five with all athletic guys, similar to the way we did last year, looked just awful and got swept and beat by, by Miami in the bubble. The year before that, they ran into you know whatever loss they had. And if you look back, it's a matchup. And this year, they didn't have that problem, right? They, they got a beaten up early Miami team. And Philadelphia is the team to me that causes them huge problems because they put Joel and beat at the rim and Giannis can't get there. And Ben Simmons can guard Giannis. And that's a terrible matchup for, for Milwaukee if they have to play Philadelphia. And, and so, or an elite level three point shooting team is how Milwaukee loses because they end up allowing, you know, they're willing to allow all these threes. They didn't run into either of those teams this year. So to me, what we have in the NBA now is 10 teams to 11 teams with a range from like 20% to 10% to win a title. And, you know, I think, I feel like Milwaukee had 14% chance, 18% chance each of the last three years, and they got one of the three, which is kind of what the odds would say would happen. PK's horrified because he just watched me eat a whole box of built bars during that answer. <laughs> <laughs> There's those are big 18, that's 18 bars right there. They, they're generous with their size. Oh, their he, he can do it. <laughs> I can do it. I can throw down food during commercial break. So, well, that answer was long enough that you should have been able to like finish a happy meal. <laughs> All right, David. Uh, Jake is really worried that we now have more minutes of commercials than we have time left in the show, so we should probably go. So you mean I'm never allowed to do 9 o'clock in the morning ever again? No, no. I enjoyed it. And I knew it was going to go like this because you hadn't been on for a couple weeks, and we'd had a couple conversations, and I knew you were going to get him in, and I thought, oh, he's not going to get it. No, and then there it was right in that last answer. It was beautiful. Can I, can, can I leave nope. you with a little, like, nope quick big picture thought on life that I'd like to share today. Oh boy. Um, just, and then it'll be, it'll, you'll be like, Oh, um, for all the people out there that own restaurants and all the waiters out there and all the managers out there, could you please as owners train your staff and managers train your staff. And as a staff member, please take allergies seriously because ending my birthday in the emergency room last night because the chef hadn't communicated to the staff that they had pistachios in a meal was not the greatest way to end a birthday yesterday. So if people could please take food allergies really, really seriously if they're in the food business, I'd greatly appreciate it. And so would all of us that have this issue. Thank you, David. <laughs> See you. David Locke on the NBA, restaurant food, and built bars. Right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson.
I had a discussion with my buddy once. What would be your least desired position to play in team sports? Punt returner might be <laughs> where your job is to field a fly ball like you're playing center field and have exactly. 11 <laughs> maniac elite athletes who want to remove your head from your body. Arrive like a split second after the ball. It's like catching a fly ball on the freeway. Yes, sounds like a terrible job. If you can think about another tweet at us, a position that you'd least want to play in all of team sports. Or you could include individual sports if there's some danger involved. <laughs> I don't want to hold the target on the archery range. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to catch the javelin. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires. The team you trust. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Time to get you up to speed. Anything you missed in this show, if you're just joining us late here in the 9 o'clock hour, Blaine Fowler, BYU football basketball analyst on BYU TV, joined us. Your big takeaway from talking to Blaine. He agrees with you. He's a smart guy. <laughs> That's how we decide who's <laughs> smart in this world. Anytime you hear anyone in your life, anyone in your life, friend, family, work, wherever, ah, person's really smart. You know they just agreed with him about some issue. Well, we talked about a couple of issues about uh, this Bilt Bar thing. To me, it's it's a message that BYU sends to the rest of the college football world. We play big-time football. Uh, this thing going in effect July 1. Here we are, six weeks later. We got this re- revolutionary thing to award walk-ons and give some players some extra money, too, on top of what they're going to get with the cost of attendance and whatever side deals they can come up with. So we're, we're in it, man. We're, we're going to be here, and we're not going away. And... Talk to us about joining your conference because we're really good. And I think that's important. And also, too, I, I think this is really a uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? I mean, every season is important, so it's not that. But I think we get an idea, a strong, strong idea, I mean, even beyond an idea. I think we get some evidence. Has Kalani Sataki built the program? Now, I totally agree with what Blaine is saying. If you go 9-3, and three, that's an outstanding year. It may not have been in the 80s or what have you. But now, today, if they go 9-3, and three, I think that is an excellent season. And then if you do that, and 8-4 and four is pretty good, too. Uh, those are my two numbers. If they go 10, well, obviously, fantastic. And so and it also sends a message that if they can accomplish that, he's built the program, and we know – at BYU with missions and all, it takes a bit. Well, now he's got it, and he's got it running. And, you know, they may have a, a – Kyle had a 7-6 and six season a few years back, and he, re- he referenced Kyle as far as the reloading thing. Mm-hmm. So I think this is a strong statement that this program can make if they get minimum eight wins. If they get anything above that, and that's really great. So – Kyle winning double-digit games in five of the last six full seasons. Obviously, you can't win double digits when you're only playing five games, so throw that one out. But in five of the last, full, five of the last six full seasons, he's been nine or ten wins. Yes. Those have been good seasons. That's a great run. You go back to, because you were on the beat then, Bronco putting together 43 wins over four years. So the key here is when you play the sophomore quarterback, which you're going to have to do at some point, set that aside as far as judging the depth of the program. We're going to have to watch the games closely, which a lot of us do. If you get a sophomore quarterback who can play at a high level, Max Hall did, then you put together that streak. If you have a sophomore quarterback who can't play at a high level 
or gets hurt, and you got to put an even more experienced person in there. You may have a lot of talent, which I think the Utes did in that seven-win season, but they had to play multiple quarterbacks. They played a sophomore most of the games, and he just wasn't ready yet. Now, it paid off his junior year, and it paid off big time his senior year because his junior year he got hurt yeah, again. Yeah, but I can't set that apart. No, I'm not going to willing to set that apart. They chose to play a sophomore quarterback. They didn't have to play. They had a senior there who had won a number of games the year before. Yes, so I'm not the giving Utah, him a, Utah did. I'm not giving him a BYU break on that. BYU hit on a sophomore quarterback. Well, they haven't yet. No, with Max Hall in that run I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, but everything was different then. It was. It was. was You're in the Mountain West. It's a different era. I get that. You got the five Pac-12 teams plus Baylor plus Virginia plus Boise State. This schedule's different than that schedule. Yeah. So that and and Max Hall had been around a little bit too. So is he the second year sophomore with no experience? Is he a third year kid? Uh, is he? Did he go in the transfer portal? All sorts of stuff that changed Blaine, now. Yeah. Blaine also hit on depth of positions that BYU doesn't usually have depth at. And I think that'll show up, and we'll see if it happens. Now, maybe they'll stay healthy, and we'll never see well, the depth tested. I, I got to see that, though. Um, yeah, you're reluctant to buy. guys doesn't mean you have depth. You're right. You're reluctant to buy, and we'll know. And maybe they'll have to put some of those guys in, and guys will be running by them, and well, then we'll know it wasn't true. They're going to want to put them in, so that's the idea of a program. Is And Kalani talked about this, and I think some others have talked about that. They slaughtered so many people last year that some kids got on on the field, which I think is what you need to do. So when it comes time for those guys to leave, graduate, go to the NFL, whatever it might be, that you're not starting completely from scratch, which is the good thing that they have at quarterback. And that's what's really good because the quarterback situation for these guys has been sort of funky. And it's actually to their benefit that now, two years ago, Zach Wilson got hurt and so Romney can get in there, Hall could get in there, and then Zach plays the entire season last year and was off to charts good, and so then they can draw. So you're not starting something new. If they choose uh, Conover, that's an entirely different story. But if they choose Conover, that means he's beating two guys who have experience. Not, not a ton, but at least some. You know, so, There's something there to draw upon, and they're older, and they've been in the program with – not the entire offensive staff because obviously Grimes is there, but now A Rod becomes A Rod's like the Norm Chow guy, and he's been around a long time. So as I feel, as long as you have A Rod there, you have competence. Even if you change guys around him, don't change him. Keep him there. Do whatever you need to do to keep him there. Because he is the stabilizing factor of the program offensively, and they've been with him, so they're not starting from complete ground zero, so to speak. And that's that's good. That bodes well for being able to have success this season and not have it being completely rebuilding year. And Kawhi Leonard, four years, $176 million with the Lakers. Just had David Locke on, and his take on the NBA is basically run it back again. And he's not alone. He pointed out the odds makers, the people who do this for a living and assess this stuff, the co-favorites right now are the Nets and Lakers. Now, will they stay healthy and pull it off? Remains to be seen, but that's where it sits right now. Well, I think the Nets are obvious favorites if they're health, healthy. I'm not so sure about the Lakers. Uh, I get that. Nets, Lakers, Bucks, Warriors, Suns, Clippers, Sixers, Jazz, Nuggets. Jazz down a little bit. 
When we come back, your feedback coming up. Stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Feedback of the day is brought to you by the Ochre Mountain Pharmacy. Quit spending time sorting pills. Call Ochre Mountain Pharmacy today. Have them sort and deliver your custom prescription blister packs free of charge. Call them at 801-252-1000. 801-252-1000. That's Ochre Mountain Pharmacy. Bill Bars doling out cash to BYU scholarship and walk-on football players. How much can this help the Cougars? G-Man says, I'm not sure, but it's one of the coolest, most innovative ideas. Props to Bill Bar for doing something great. You do get bonus points for getting to a good idea first. Now, will it really matter if another school gets to a, a similar idea in a couple weeks or a month? I think you get bonus points. What you're talking about, this thing is nebulous, you can't put your hands on. It's just like, hey, these guys know what they're doing. They're cutting edge. We got to have them. You're speaking of. You get that for going Bill first. Or BYU or both? Probably both. Because I don't know that the next sponsor will get that kind of run? free media run. And, you know, media being wide open. That could be someone sharing the video on social media. It was a big deal on Twitter. You're more on Instagram more than I am, but it probably was there, too. ESPN.com was playing it up. A bunch of other websites were, too. Well, timing was awesome. Yeah. Great time of year to do it. Yeah, so, Football hasn't started yet. The Olympics are over. It's kind of quiet out there. They had to compete with one baseball game. Well, second half of soccer season hasn't started yet, and that will be starting up tomorrow. Saturday, but they avoided that. That was good. Let's not have a a Saturday night announcement. That was a bold decision by them. Yeah, yeah. You want to go? First kick's at (laughs) 8.05. You think about an 8.30 presser Saturday night? Right. I agree. (laughs) They're having a press conference about it today at 12.30. You going? Uh, I guess so. I don't know. I guess if you want to interview him, although their their um, their guy was on our show. Our, uh, yeah, his hands and Scotty had yeah, Nick so yesterday. Go listen to that co-founder twelve eighty thezone.com and you can already hear what he's going to say. Everything you hear in every show live is also available in case you miss it. You're stuck in a meeting, got to do something, you can't listen. You can always go back and get it at twelve eighty thezone.com. If you haven't gone back and listened to Joe Ingalls, I would suggest you do. Hear his thoughts on. Trade rumors blowing up his phone. Jay Hadley tweets at us, this can definitely be helpful. The new NIL rules are going to play a significant role in college football. Recruiting is going to be a lot different. Going to be like free agency. Follow the money. Then if the money's not the same, then you make your choices. Yeah, well, yeah, I don't know that you can make your decided at 17, 95%, 98% of the players can decide what money's going to be available. I just don't know that it's going to be something that is out there for everybody. That will be an interesting strategy to see which way schools go. And it's no different than free agency. You know, do you pay a lot of guys 10 to 15 million or do you pay three stars 35 million and everybody else gets yeah, the minimum? But that's not the school's decision. But it can be because BYU helped broker this I deal. I don't think it can be to that level. It's not. Su- well, originally it was not supposed to be, and now I think all bets are off. But I don't know where this is going. I, I, it feels like it's going to be wide I just open. Don't Wild know West. somebody's going to make a decision where you're going to go spend the next four or five years based on two thousand dollars. It's not life changing money. I wouldn't think that. But is the money about to get a lot bigger? I, I never thought I'd for see some. It. Yes, I never thought I'd see NBA players making forty million. Yeah, but that's that level. I know. I know. 
I have to approach it if I'm a college or a coach that, uh, hey, we got to recruit the heck out of the kids we want. And, you know, we can use this to our advantage to a degree, but don't be relying on it because you can't slack off on recruiting. It's got to be done daily. And there will still be a big deal assessing where guys are going to be in two, three, four years. The tricky part, projecting what guys are going to turn into. All right, DJ and PK, we're out of time. Hans and Scotty are up next. Have a good weekend, and we will see you Monday.